And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon whatever the case may be. Wherever you are on this rotating globe, welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when in our current campaign, we are somehow talking to ETs. And that's kind of a very broad term as we went into last night. Tonight is kind of part two of our decoding of Maria Wheatley's transmissions and recordings from Stonehenge a couple weeks ago, actually literally uh, two weeks ago on the 20th of February of 2022. If you have been following our work, that makes perfect sense. If you haven't, well, the next three hours are going to be very interesting for you because while the world is dissolving in war, They are much more important. I know that sounds extraordinary. Much more important things moving in the dark above the planet, kind of encompassing what's going on here. And by an extraordinary um, set of, of provable lines of evidence, what is going on in Ukraine is reflected in the transmissions we have received from someone out there or up there or beyond there and I sound a little ambiguous because even though we're having verifiable communications with someone or something we're not exactly sure who we're talking to and again if you're familiar with this campaign which began back in December December 4th uh, all this will make sense if you're a newcomer if you came over to kind of poke around and see what Hoagland was up to after he'd been away from coast for seven years and suddenly popped up uh, last Wednesday night with George. Well, stick around. The evening is going to get very, very. Uh, Let me start with a couple of news items. If you go to our website, because we have a section of the show called Radio with Pictures. And what you do is you click on our URL, which is the other side of midnight.com. If you're listening on a smartphone, it should be pretty easy. If you're listening on a computer, it's also easy. Open another window, the other side of midnight.com. And then you'll see a banner at the top of the page. Tonight's banner reads rather uh, dramatically as continuation of last night. Continuing Stonehenge ET transmissions, new responses, part two as part of our open hailing frequencies experiment. Gosh, I wonder where I got that from. Anyway, click on that banner. That will take you to the guest page. And on the guest page, you will find, um, and I just clicked on it, and it went somewhere really screwy. I'm not quite sure why. Anyway, um, that will take you to the guest page. Under the guest page, you will see fast links to items. My name John Womack, David Sarita, Thomas Mathers, Maria Wheatley, Dennis Stone, and Ra, which is, well, we'll get into who Ra is. Ra is a very interesting new member of the team. His real name is Ralph, but for reasons that are connected to some of the responses that we've been getting via the uh, radio, um, and where Maria is going next as our intrepid um, uh, away team uh, protagonist Ra is very appropriately in interesting company tonight with all the rest of us 
We're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Um, I'm, I, I gave a kind of a long prelude last night to how we got into this. And so since this is part two, if you're a member of Club 19.5, you simply go to the archive and you listen to part one, which was last night. Um, if you're not a member of Club 19.5, you need to be for several reasons. One is we've got probably now a thousand hours of shows I have done sitting in this chair. Good grief. A thousand hours over seven years going back to 2015 when Art conned me into doing this. And I use that term with great specificity. Oh boy, did he run a, a number on me? Oh, you'll love it. Yes, sure. Um, the other reason you want to click on that, because besides a thousand shows is this is one direct way you can help this research campaign. You know, any extra money we get from subscriptions and at the moment we're just about breaking even. So we need more members goes to fund computer programs, to fund, um, experts, to fund travel, to fund technology, um, you know, the radios that we're using cost something, uh, computer algorithms, specifically if we have to hire someone who's a programmer to write specific code to look for the codings in the radio transmissions we're getting by machine as opposed to doing it as uh, some of our uh, participants are doing by hand. Because doing it by hand, we can only cover a fraction of the radio responses that we have recorded since beginning this on December 4th. And there's always this terrible danger that we're missing something, that the operative paradigm in SETI transmission, SETI being the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, with the unspoken part uh, being by radio, the, the real danger is that uh, whoever was at the other end of the phone is not just repeating endlessly the same few frequencies or the f same few communications or uh, references to sacred geometry, et cetera, et cetera, but they're in fact giving us a whole bunch of additional information further down in the recording uh, that we're not picking up because we just don't have the personnel time or most critically the computer technology to do it. So. If you are an expert in cryptography, if you're a former CIA analyst, if you're a computer whiz, if you write code for fun and games, because you just can't do anything but write code, uh, you need to get hold of us where it says, uh, uh, over on the upper left on our homepage, where it says, contact us. Um, that's over on the kind of the middle of that string of things you can can click on on the on the home page and we will answer you in fact one of our researchers uh, Thomas Mathers came to us he's a award-winning uh, producer radio producer music producer he has been in the, in the business for decades uh, he's also very conversant with sacred sites sacred geometry um, native wisdom um, you know first peoples mythologies and background and so his 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 uh, expertise is perfect to try to help us decode what we're dealing with and he came to us as a volunteer by simply uh, uh, clicking on that link and uh, opening a, a conversation i.e. opening hailing frequencies 
really a good term that Gene created way, way back when. Anyway, um, tonight as part two, what we're doing, if you click on that banner and then you click on my name in the fast links, that will take you down to the section of the website we call Radio with Pictures. And the first two items uh, I've had up there since Christmas, which, of course, deal with the Webb Space Telescope. Just as we are breaking totally new ground with this incredibly productive extraterrestrial transmission experiment, because we're getting answers. We're getting replicable, verifiable answers from someone, which is what science is all about. If you follow the story of the Webb Space Telescope, and we've kind of been following it from day one, from the launch on Christmas morning, uh, ultimately this telescope could be able to shed light in a very interesting way on who we are talking to. And I don't have time tonight to go into all the details, but the first item, number one, is the blog. It's the Webb Telescope blog. It lists progressive developments in what's called the commissioning of the telescope now, the alignment of the mirrors, the checking out of the instruments, the taking of test data, culminating in a fully functional telescope. We're expecting some time around July. And then we're going to get our first images from the largest space telescope ever put into orbit. It's orbiting in what's called a halo orbit, which is about a six-month orbit, way out a million miles behind the Earth away from the sun. And about July, we're going to get our first images of galaxies and extrasolar planets. And I mean, it, it's going to blow your socks off. So now why is that important? Well, the extrasolar planets part could be where whoever we're talking to is hanging out. So there is a kind of a connection between these two research programs, ours and NASA's relating to Webb. Item number two is kind of like, where is Webb? Shows you a lot of background details, temperatures of the instrumentation, where it is at the L2 point, where they are and the checkout procedures and all that. So those two kind of go hand in hand. And I've made the decision uh, to keep them up at the top so that you have a ready reference. If you want to find out something about Webb, simply go to the other side of midnight, click on those two links, and it will tell you everything you need to know up to a point. Then, of course, there are the weekly programs where when we actually get this thing functioning, when NASA does, we're going to probably do some programs with some of our guest astrophysicists as to what the first data means and that will open up a tremendously new window item number three um i put this up a week or two ago because um not only did maria wheatley go into stonehenge for the first time on the 4th of february but she went in again even despite the british hurricane i mean literally a hurricane winds above 75 miles per hour she couldn't get anybody to go with her, all those big hulking guys that kind of hang around her and help her do various things. They all stayed home, and so she was out there in a car alone in the wind blowing 80, 85, 90 miles an hour, and she was able to get within two miles uh, on the first try of Stonehenge and down to about, uh, I think, less than 1,000 feet on the second, and we've got some maps to show you later in the show, so you can see exactly where she is. As part of that 
transmission and recording session, one of our analysts, David Sarita, found a stunning um, connection between the transmissions on February 20th and Putin's invasion of Ukraine four days later. And that was reflected in some results that he posted last night, because not only is there a connection found in those transmissions, again, from someone we do not know uh, about the invasion of Ukraine overall, but they were very, very specific because in the numbers, uh, and I may have David reiterate, you know, the, the kind of a Reader's Digest version of what he did to get those numbers. Um, we got two more hits, again, four days before the invasion. One was the Russian uh, attack and takeover of Chernobyl, which is in the northern part of Ukraine. Remember, in 1986, Chernobyl literally, because it was a graphite reactor, caught fire because of a runaway meltdown, blew its top, spreading radioactive debris across thousands of square miles in the northern part of Ukraine, in, in Europe, in Russia, depending upon how the winds were blowing. And this has been a perennial problem now since 86, for decades. And they've sealed it in this big, huge concrete and steel coffin, which is corroding, so it has to be upkept and all that. Well, it was one of the first places that the Russians, as they were coming down from Belarus, um, invaded and took over. The second, which also showed up in the numbers again, four days before the invasion and weeks before it happened, two weeks before it happened, uh, was the largest atomic uh, nuclear reactor in Ukraine and the largest in Europe. It supplies about 25% of the total electrical power for Ukraine and the Russians in a firefight, which used tank shells and bounced uh, tracers off the containment vessels and freaked out an awful lot of people who watched it live uh, by satellite, uh, they took over the second nuclear site in in Ukraine. And thereby lies a very curious projection. What is Putin up to? Why is he doing this? Well, we will kind of save that for when we have the discussion uh, of what this data could mean, probably in the third hour, give or take. Now, what's really intriguing is, as we laid out last night, if you look at items four, five, six, and seven in my section. Number four is a GO satellite video of the explosion in uh, the South Pacific back on January 15th. Well, what you don't know, if you've just joined us for tonight for part two of this expose of what we figured out from Maria's latest transmissions in Stonehenge, um, two weeks before, around Christmas, during our famous Christmas weekend, non-stop Friday, Saturday, Sunday transmissions to Oumuamua, we got numbers relating to the latitude accurate to three significant figures of the location of the Tonga explosion. But we got those numbers from whoever's at the other end of this ET phone call. We got them two weeks before the Tonga event. And just take a look at those images, you know, um, I won't go through them tonight. I did last night. So you can, if you join Club 19.5, you'll get a very detailed explanation. I just want to point you to number seven. Look at that geometry. 
All three-dimensional explosions are spherical. They create spherical shock waves. You have an entropy uh, increase from the center to the uh, outer edge of the expanding shock, and that is a sphere, a bubble expanding at the uh, speed of sound. In the Tonga event, which was the largest volcanic event recorded since Karakatoa, which had very primitive instrumentation, and in fact may have exceeded the, the megatonnage magnitude of the largest nuclear weapons explosion ever documented on Earth, which was the famous Tsar bomb the Soviets uh, detonated back at the beginning of the nuclear age as part of their confrontation with the uh, United States and the Cold War. That was about a 50 megaton blast. Um, this explosion could have exceeded the megatonnage of the SAR bomb detonated by the Soviet Union many decades ago at the height of the Cold War. But the SAR bomb was a spherical detonation. How do we know? There is film transferred to video. This explosion, this Tonga event, was totally different. For one thing, it was not nuclear. Uh, there are very sensitive radiation detectors all over the world because the primary fear of all governments um, is uh, radiation release, either inadvertently from a reactor or deliberately in some kind of nuclear confrontation, God forbid. So the world has been wired for decades to sniff out and detect and relay, obviously in real time by means of satellites and the Internet and all that, any increase in radiation anywhere in the world uh, will be picked up by some monitor relatively close by. There was no increased radioactivity from the Tonga explosion, even though it was the most incredible, and that's an inference, we had no measuring systems really, primitive seismometers for Karakatoa, and it was not nuclear. So what was it? The secret, as I said last night, seems to be in the geometry because the only explosion of energy in a three-dimensional reality that will take on a cubical geometry is a hyper-dimensional intrusion into our reality, into our three space from a higher state space, four dimensions, five dimensions, six dimensions, etc. Because it comes in the form of two interlocked tetrahedrons where have you heard that term before in connection with our work of hyperdimensional physics? And of course, two interlocked tetrahedrons are in fact a cube. So whatever did Tonga was a hyperdimensional, likely extraterrestrial, potentially extradimensional entity doing something either as a warning as a demonstration of inconceivable uh, terror and horror they could loose upon the earth, or it may have been the deliberate destruction of an ancient sacred site in Lemuria under the South Pacific from tens of thousands of years ago, again, as a warning, as a demonstration. At this point, the data in the radio transmissions does not tell us, all it told us two weeks ahead of time 
is pay attention to 20.6, which is exactly where the explosion occurred, which is the south latitude of the Tonga event itself. Now, with that as prelude, we're now looking, David particularly is looking, David Sarita, at the frequencies and the frequency numbers in terms of prediction of other events. So I'll tell you what, uh, let me bring David on. Let me give you a kind of a thumbnail sketch of who our players are tonight, and I say players very loosely. Um, David Sarita is an expert in uh, uh, sacred frequencies. He is, um, has produced and scored music for meditation. He and his wife had a meditation practice and consciousness course series available on audio and video called Quantum Regenesis. And he and his wife developed a company with natural technologies developed both to imprint these frequencies and vibrations uh, in the human um, field through jewelry and crystals. He also designs and makes harmonic field transmitters, which accomplish the same thing. So um, I'll get to our other panelists momentarily. But David, we got a few minutes till the bottom of the hour. Why don't you again give a thumbnail sketch as to how you're analyzing these frequencies and some of the most remarkable latest information that you have derived? Well, first I want to go back to that Tonga again because I was I'm very curious why it happened so spot on right next to the international dateline. And the international dateline is by definition is a line that functions as a line of demarcation separating two consecutive calendar dates. So when you cross the date line, you become a time travel of sorts. I was just going to say, my intuition just popped into my head. You know, I, I guess we're kind of in sync on this. Dateline means time. And so part of what they were telling us is pay attention to time. Messages right. out of it's time. Exactly. I mean, it's symbolic because yep, it's yep, right yep. there. It's amazing how if you look at a map of, you just Google people, international dateline, it's not a straight line. It's kind of zigzaggy, and it, it kind of does a zigzag. Because of politics, around. you know, some people wanted right. to be in tomorrow. Some people wanted to be in yesterday, and, you know, every geopolitical event is a is a compromise, ultimately. So they might be telling us something, again, about time dilation symbolically by picking that spot. And I, I find it interesting because the Tsar Bamba was 5658 megatons, which is 2900 times stronger than the bomb dropped on Nagasaki, which is 20 kilotons. So imagine 29 times, 2900 times stronger. And the Russians actually stole the hydrogen bomb and the nuclear bomb from Los Alamos National Lab using some really amazing spies. I don't know how they got in there. But they got themselves in there, and they got the blueprints, and then they went and made, I mean, a an H bomb that is that is unimaginable. It's well, unimaginable also, also, it was a total demonstration because, given the weight at that time of the technology of a fifty plus mega, I mean, Khrushchev said he wanted a hundred megatons, and the physicists in Russia said, uh, "Sir, you can't do that because we can't carry it." So, fifty megatons was the biggest that an airplane could carry and it was useless as a war technique it was only a demonstration as a warning to the west you know we can do this if we want to 
Right, and and they stole it. So then, yeah, but that's irrelevant. It's, uh, I know. Well, they, they did it. The bottom line is they have it. So well, they detonated it, so we knew they had it. All right. I, I just want people to appreciate because when you're saying the Tonga was how many times stronger, like how many megatons well, do they estimate Tonga? Well, the range I've seen is from 18 all the way up to 60 or 70. I mean, there's a huge range, and the reason is that anything close to the blast was destroyed. This is an inference based on the shock waves that circled the world three times, and there are such error bars on shock waves depending upon reflections, refractions, enhancements. You know, you have what's called constructive and destructive interference that, you know, science is approximate. So we know it was a huge event, but the critical part is it was not a normal nuclear, you know, device because there was no enhanced radioactivity. None. Zero. And, and if it was geophysical, we would have seen a tsunami way, way bigger than, than it happened. So this thing, if it is a weapon demonstration, is that what you're proposing? Well, you're I'm proposing, and this is going to sound really whacked out, I'm saying that this was the reason that Putin has invaded Ukraine. Because somebody demonstrated in the most remote part of the South Pacific possible the power of this as a weapon. And they then said to him, back channel, you do what we want or else, because otherwise Putin is not an idiot. Putin is not dumb. He's a very smart guy. See, another, for him to hang on, hang another on. For, for him to yeah, know yeah. what was coming, which will wind up with the utter destruction of Russia economically as a culture, as a as a, a quote empire, and do this anyway when nothing is. He won't even be able to hold Ukraine. He cannot add Ukraine to Russia because he doesn't have enough troops and the incredible resistance. Remember, he's got one of the best intelligence agencies in the world, the FSB. The idea that he went in expecting them to strew flowers in the paths of the Russians is, is nuts. It's all mainstream people trying to figure out within a box why this person, who up until now has been incredibly rational, totally in Russia's intelligent self-interest has apparently gone off the rails. I'm saying that the coincidence in time between two incredibly unique events, one, the Tonga demonstration of unlimited power, and two, Putin acting in a berserk, bizarre, totally illogical manner in doing something he cannot win and will only wind up with the, the death of Russia, only makes sense if you put them together and basically look at the idea that he may have been given a, a choice which was not a choice at all, um, kind of like the mafia. Right, and, and the, the Bikini Atoll is, is right up above this where we were t formerly testing nuclear weapons. So you're in the vicinity of, of a historical region of, of testing. So it's not so far-fetched, you know, if anybody thinks it's far-fetched, that this could be – because if you have a non-radioactive weapon that has that kind of blast force, then – see, this would be the biggest predicament is if you use nuclear weapons, you're going to render the ecology of that region useless for a very long time. I'm actually amazed how Japan – reclaimed Nagasaki and Hiroshima. I mean, they must have done a lot of soil removal and, and reclamation. Yeah, to because some of these radioactive sites. nuclei were running out of time 
at the bottom of the hour, they last tens of thousands of years. You know, long oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Every radionuclide has different half-lives. So yep. like tritium has a short half-life, and that's used in H-bombs. But the, the core of the H-bomb is still radioactive, you know, uranium, explosive uranium isotopes. I'll tell you what, hold it there. We're at the bottom yep. of the hour. And in honor of the Ukrainians are putting up an incredible fight against overwhelming odds, and they're pulling it off, thank God, with a little help from their friends around the world, because um, this cannot stand, and that's a whole longer program. But I thought we would play tonight the Ukrainian national anthem, just for brave people. We shall return. <laughs> looking with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Globalone's efforts to move everybody into a cashless society, which, you know, like it or not, that's a one-way mirror, folks. Because at that point, you're not dealing with a currency. You're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls. And if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers, that's not a system you want to go into. You look at the West, and more importantly, if you look at what some people call the Anglosphere, the, the Western powers that are English-speaking, the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and so on, I do think it's the case there. They're using a health crisis really to drive a, a political agenda. And the health crisis itself is largely blown way, way out of proportion to what's actually the case.
If you look at what Mr. Globaloni is up to, they are recreating slavery. And the, the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of perfecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you. It's not going to go away overnight, but there are already, uh, I think, some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice. This is Joseph P. Farrell. And for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news. everyone to this Sunday night edition of the other side of midnight here from the land of enchantment where up until today it's been really like spring and the temperatures are now down in the 40s during the day and it's just about freezing right now and there's no heat in the studio except what I bring in so uh, if my teeth chatter a bit you'll understand why well back to David uh, uh, regardless of how the Tonga event took place. It seems to me the idea that someone cared enough to send the very best and they were sending us the heads up two weeks before this literally unprecedented event, following that up with the second experiment and transmissions that uh, Maria got uh, from uh, the February 20th uh, radio receptions around her um, being able to transmit next to, not inside, but relatively close within a few hundred feet of Stonehenge. I mean, that's a trend curve. So I'm thinking that there is a lot of data that we haven't had a chance to go through. And then a couple of nights ago, you uh, called me up and you said, well, if I turn the radio on right now and I put on the frequency meter or I record the transmission through the speaker and then I look at it you know in uh, delayed time as a recording they're giving me a whole bunch of new sites inside Ukraine which again is after the war has started but before maybe the next series of events were going to take place so what are some of those lat longs and have you figured out yet what they're trying to say well definitely because this new 
you know, thesis put to the test that the numbers I'm getting, again, what I'm doing is I took Maria's recordings of the, of her recording of the frequency response from the, um, you know, the, the 10th of February. And was it the 20th of February or the 10th? But tw- well, the first one was on the 4th. Her second effort was on the 20th. It's the 20th. So I'm, I'm talking about the 20th. And so when I, I put my frequency meter in front of my very good speakers, which um, and I start, I make a video of my meter responding to the frequency playback from her recording. And I look at the numbers frame by frame. And when I look at the numbers, there was one section where I got a solid um, north latitude for the north face of the Great Pyramid of Egypt, which is 29.9799 north latitude. So it was solid for many seconds, whereas normally the numbers are jumping around. Then I got all these other numbers, and I was doing my Latin longs. And if you go to my David's items on the other side of midnight and you look at your item number one, we went over this last night, you can see that I got numbers whose square root gave me the lat and long of a site very close to the um, the nuclear power plant, the second nuclear power plant that the uh, Russian army invaded, the Zafar Frisia nuclear power plant, which is Europe's largest nuclear power plant. And it's important to note these power plants are designed to withstand the impact of a 747. I mean, I'm talking about the dome. Um, you know, not the office buildings, but the actual dome. So I decided to test another hypothesis. And that, and the reason I tested this other hypothesis is I kept asking myself, why do I keep seeing Great Pyramid numbers? Because in Maria's data, again, I also got, and I also got on my radio following her transmission by several days, I kept getting the the square of two royal cubits and two royal cubits is the most common measurement in the great pyramid according to peter le missourier and it's interesting to note that in peter le missourier's great pyramid decoded he mathematically decodes a a past present and future timeline of events and 2025 plus or minus three years which puts us at 2022 is the total collapse of the material civilization is the translation of that window. So it's Oh, that's that comforting. Huh. The total co- but what happens after that is actually very incredibly positive which in in his in his decoding we see the beginning of the of the messianic return, the great initiate returns to earth and and it's interesting how many psychics like Gene Dixon predicted 2025 there were many, many psychics who predicted a, a second coming of Christ in 2025. But Le does this mathematically. He's not doing it by any psychic means. It's all in the numbers. So I found that fascinating also. So what I, what I decided to test, which is in my item two, is that the eye of Horus and the eye of, if you go on the great seal of the United States on the back of your dollar, you see the eye above the pyramid. The eye above the pyramid is the all-seeing eye of, 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 of Ra and the all-seeing eye of, of Horus. So it's the all-seeing eye. So the, I had this theory. What if this whole theater of war 
is it's reflecting in and out of the north face of the Great Pyramid of Egypt. So I, I looked at the ne- a number on from Maria's this is Maria's reception of her transmission on the 20th of February, four days before the invasion. And the second number, 1976.37 kilometers, using the measuring tool on Google Earth, took me right from the north face of the Great Pyramid right into the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. And <laughs> oh, you can't to, make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. And so, I, and I thought, well, it, if it's really happening this way, um, then, then I got to get more numbers like that. So if you come down to my item seven, and I did this all, during the show last night, if you click on seven A Chernobyl reference, I got the same thing. I mean, this is exact, folks. So I'm using the measuring tool on Google Earth. I pick my north face on the Great Pyramid of Egypt at twenty nine point nine seven nine nine north latitude, and I drag my ruler all the way to Chernobyl. Now remember, day one, February 24th, when the Russians invaded Kiev, they went to Chernobyl and they and they overtook the Chernobyl nuclear disaster site. And my measurement is 22.2253, kilometers takes me right into Chernobyl. I mean exactly. So there's my second beyond coincidence. And then my third, I got a third one, which actually took me from the Great Pyramid of Egypt to the city of Kiev, the southern part. So just outside the southern boundary of the city. And that, of course, would have been where the the Russian armies would assemble themselves before invading. And then, and that that's phenomenal. That's 2367.72 kilometers between the great pyramid so what what i and 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 our target so what i'm saying is these numbers came in maria's data which and, was and four that, days before putin invaded ukraine exactly and this is where he starts his invasion he starts his invasion coming at kiev and he, yeah but wait wait, wait 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 hang on hang on i don't think we want to go beyond the numbers Kiev, Kiev, hang on, hang on. The invasion, that huge 40-mile-long, you know, convoy of tanks and artillery and all that, that's coming down from Belarus. Yeah, but that's later. And what's interesting, Richard, is Yeah, but there is is nobody even close to Kiev from the south. They're not marching. Wait a second. No, no, that's not how – okay, try and imagine this, okay? The night – just after Maria's transmission, the, the night of the, the the second day of the invasion, I'm listening on my radio. I'm going to turn my radio on right now, and I want you to note this: that at 4:32, my radio is normally quiet. But ever since Maria did her second transmission on the 20th, when I turn this radio on, I get numbers in the static. So I'm going to turn it on. This is 4:32, and this is what it sounds like. And, and normally it's dead quiet. So if I take my meter right now, you can't see this, but I just got a a number that looks like a um, latitude. 
number that's in the region of the conflict. Now, what I do is I do Latin longs, but I also take my measuring tape. Now, what's amazing is I got three positions on the Belarus side above Kiev and Chernobyl, three. But this is on my radio, not Maria's. I'm, I'm separating Maria's data. So what's up on your site right now in my items? That's Maria's data. But I'm getting constant every night all these locations. I've gotten three locations in Belarus, and I've gotten locations in the Black Sea. I've gotten I'm, – I, in fact, why is my radio giving me Latin longs only for this region right now? There's nowhere else on the planet where these numbers well, are Well, because Ukraine up. and the Russia confrontation is pivotal to – global future geopolitics for a huge number of reasons. Yeah, but so that means our source, wherever we're getting these transmissions from, which could be interfacing off of the Great Pyramid as some sort of giant transistor or semiconductive oscillator, because it's kind of acting like radar works, like radar will give you a radar return on your target and tell you where it is and how far away it is because it bounces to and fro at the speed of light off your target. So why is, are the measurements from the Great Pyramid to the targets so accurate? I mean, talking 99.99% accuracy here on my measuring tape. So I'm, I'm, I've been doing this on my own here, and I've got targets all over the place. So if I separate Maria's data, because we now know from the press that we have a launching airstrip somewhere in Europe where we're going to be supplying them fight, you know, fighter jets and anti-tank missiles. Well, from, from uh, Poland. Poland's going to give Ukraine its old MiGs, you know, newer Yeah, but they're but... not giving out the location of that base. Right. But I think I'm seeing it. <laughs> and and oh, I'm don't, not going to give out the Exactly. No, I, 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 I would not give it to the Russians. Okay. No, I wouldn't give it to the radio tonight. But I can tell you I can see it. So the, the point is, why can I see it? Is this the all-seeing eye of – is the Great Pyramid activated yeah, but it, David, right David, I, I, I think these are 25th-level questions. We have no way of calibrating scientifically any who, why, how, what, when, and where other than the what. We've got the what. The what is predictive of a major world-class changing events. And that seems to be a trend curve that we should follow. And, you know, in terms of uh, Giza to Kiev, the fact that it's within the city limits, we have no idea what that other point really, really means or what time it refers to, except that Kiev is the target of Putin to kill the government, to denazify in his absurd claim. You know, come on, Ukraine is a Jewish president, the only other nation on the planet other than Israel with a Jewish president. So the whole premise well, no, of... Well, you got to remember, under Stalin, they, they were executing Jews, and they, they became Christians to hide their, their identity. Yeah, again, these so are details what... we don't... David, we don't need to know. Yeah. Don't drill down so yeah. deep. We only have three hours. I want to move... Yes? I'm sorry. Uh, this might be pertinent to all of that. I don't know. The Deputy Minister of Defense... This of is Belarus. Ron Gerbron, by the way, our resident generalist. Oh. Yeah, and curmudgeon. Uh, the uh, yeah, the deputy minister for defense of Belarus 
resigned his post two days ago, saying that the um, he he wasn't wasn't down with the invasion. And good for him. him a lot. I know may cause him a lot of trouble. I sent I sent Kimpy a link to the um, one of the stories about it. I just sorry I throw that in there since you. Well, the reason I think David was getting was getting the the border between Belarus and Ukraine is because that's where these peace talks that were arranged between the Ukrainians and the Belarusians for a couple of, of, of efforts were held. A delegation from Ukraine went north and they literally were on the border. So it was kind of neutral. So, again, but see, this is imputing meaning that is basically above our pay grade. We cannot know the reasons we're getting the numbers. The only thing we can look at at the moment is 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 the location hugely, significantly specific. And in, in terms of three sets of numbers that David has gotten, the location of the peace talks, the location of Chernobyl, the location of the big nuclear reactor to the southeast of Chernobyl, uh, that's all we've got so far. And then you've got a bunch of other numbers. I would say but what you need to do is go and find the lat longs of all the other nuclear reactors in Ukraine and see if those are coming up as predictive events for where the Russians are going to move next. That's a great idea. I'll work on that this week, and I'll, I'll get those numbers. I mean, the number I just got, you just heard me turn on my radio, is actually the number that just came in is the square of the location of the Great Pyramid. So if I take 29.929.9799, which is the north face of the Great Pyramid, and this is very precise, and I square it, I get 898.79. Now, that just came in just now, and that's static. You just so heard, it's redundant. It be, so there's a data stream, which is kind of so like an the, AI running the same tape over and over and over and over again. So whenever you dip into it, you're going to get significant information. So you see why the the pyramid, the north face is staring right into the battlefield. It's like an eye. And you think of the east face and the south face and the west face of the Great Pyramid. That's how accurate the measurements are. You can differentiate between literally almost individual stones on on the face of the pyramid. Okay, I want to I, 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 yeah. I, 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 I move on to how another researcher is doing this. Uh, John Womack is with us. John has many different uh, arrows in his quiver. Among other things, he brings a psychic element, and a lot of this audience is familiar with that idea, that we're mi- mixing you know, other realm, other dimensional sensory systems. Uh, he does out of body. He's been doing out of body uh, flying and experiencing and travel since he was a kid. Uh, he's also a state-of-the-art uh, producer. He does incredibly detailed animations. He does frequency analysis. Um, he's another generalist technologist with a um, paranormal bent. I'm using that term in quotes. So, John, you've been very busy trying to decode uh, the frequency spread of this information. And you gave us some information last night, but tonight we're going to get a real um, download of some very important new information. Yes. Uh, One thing I'll be showing tonight is the stark difference between the signals we've been receiving prior to Maria 
and then Maria's signals. And it is pretty stark. And, and let me lay out for the audience again, the big difference between prior Oumuamua experimental transmissions with one foray into you know sending messages to the moon, which is, by the way, how we got back to Stonehenge because the number 56 popped up in David's frequency analysis, and he had no idea what 56 meant. And I said, oh, my God, that's the number of Aubrey holes in Stonehenge. So it made us look at Stonehenge. So the second phase of this transmission sequence has involved Maria taking the little handheld radio, the Baofeng Chinese radio, which has an 8-watt transmitter on a dipole antenna out the top, and sending some pre-recorded signals from within Stonehenge for the first time on the 4th, on the, you know, 4th of February, and then close to Stonehenge. And by the way, uh, Maria is under the weather tonight, so she can't be with us, but what we put up as her new items, number one and two, uh, Keith was able to get this up this afternoon. If you click on her fast links, it'll take you to her section. Item one is a perspective view of the uh, Wilshire countryside. At the bottom is the location at a place called uh, uh, Bumford's Inn or something, uh, where she did her first transmission. And the upper red dot right next to the yellow indicator saying Stonehenge is where she did her second transmission and she's recording everything between those two locations for uh, over two hours almost three hours and the item number two is a close-up uh, of her sitting by the road because you can't go up that white road now that's been closed off by uh, English Heritage unless you pay a fee um, but you're, she was able to sit there within about a thousand feet and record for a couple hours, more than two hours, uh, what John and Thomas and David have been analyzing. So that will give you a kind of a lay of the land and, and reinforce the idea, which Robin and I discovered when we went to Chichen Itza, that you can be miles away from these sacred sites and they function as amplifiers in a huge bubble in a huge field extending for miles around them and maybe even more than just a few miles maybe tens of miles or hundreds of miles we haven't tested that yet the the thing is that most of the data we're going to talk about tonight is part of this incredible return from the receiving messages we got uh, both on Maria's radios as well as other people independently uh, as she transmitted from those two locations on those maps. Please continue. Well, I'd like to start with number four in my items. So if you go to the other side of midnight.com and click on tonight's show banner, it takes you to the show page and you click on the fast links for John. Oh my gosh. So wow. number four is what I see when I open this in my, I use Adobe Audition, which is pretty sophisticated spectral analysis software. And I don't know how to use a lot of it. I'm just kind of playing around. <laughs> but, um, well, let's learn I'm as you go. I am. I'm learning. As now, I do am. we so, have, can you play us something so we can hear just with our own ears what Maria's recordings sound like? Uh, yes, I can. Um, let me do one of these tone sweeps is what I, I call them. And you can see these. There are yellow lines running left to right. And they have gent gentle slopes. 
Do you see those, Richard? Yeah, sure, you, sure. I, yeah, I, I want okay. to be able to play what they sound like yes. as we're looking at the visual spectrum of what they look like on the graph. Okay. Can you make it louder? I'm playing. That's from the last block of data on the right side of this graph. Okay. Uh, it's hard to hear. Let me, let me play something from the middle area. It might be easier for folks to hear the, the tone here. No, I don't hear anything. Just, hear it, it, it sounds like noise. This is why you need technology. Because technology can reach down and look into these frequencies, put plots together, and we see there is coherent information against what sounds to the ear like noise. Yes. So I open it up in my software, and I I see this image in number four. And then in number 4A, if you open that in another tab, these are the first things that strike me as unusual number one look how purple that area is this pause in the recording to the left of the number one you see a red column that says send that is the signal that tom put together you know it's some tones that represent pi and chakra frequencies and this kind of thing it's an encoded message so he's sending that and then you have where it says number one there's this pause before the receptions start happening and in all the previous recordings there's a background wash so what what this appears to me is that her being at stonehenge it affects different characteristics in different ways so the background noise that we hear on all of your recordings richard and Michael Hill and David, all of them have this background noise that is often associated with walkie-talkies and so forth. But on Maria's, for some reason, it's basically silent. It's so low that it's below 20 hertz. I'll tell you what, we're at the top of the hour. I don't want to miss our breaks tonight. John, we will come back to you. You're on the other side of midnight, everyone. This is uh, Pink Floyd, one of my favorite groups just seems to resonate with what we're doing. This is welcome to the machine. Are we literally talking to a machine, a computer, a computer network hooked in through an ancient, ancient human internet known as the connection of sacred sites by uh, ley lines and ley rivers all over the world? We're testing so many things in this experiment. And the key to a good experiment is to separate the things that you are testing. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Yeah. 
TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight for this Sunday night here in the Land of Enchantment. We're going through uh, John Womack's analysis, his frequency analysis, of what to the average year sounds, I mean, sounds to me, like noise. Except when you put it in a spectral plot, when you plot frequency against time, and you give different frequencies and intensities, different colors, and you can kind of look at it as a a, uh, a uh, frequency against the clock, all kinds of interesting subtext comes out, including the fact that there are coherent, coherent, coherent signals buried in the apparent noise. So, John, continue, please. Yes, I'm going to back up a little bit for any new listeners that we have tonight uh, courtesy of George perhaps <laughs> uh, if you go to number 15 in my items this is a good example of what we have been receiving pre-Maria so if you open that up this is a picture of three chirps happening in about one second of time along the top you can see the timeline we have Two minutes, 11.2 seconds, two minutes, 11.3 seconds, etc. So these three chirps are happening in about one second. So technically, they look like uh, what I have termed, uh, or others have termed, sawtooth waves. Correct. Which are very sharply defined. They have an abrupt rise time. They have a decay. And then yep. these have double spikes uh that are what is down lower frequency in the plot yes and then they and then they come back up and then they're like background noise and then they repeat Mm -hmm. 
and they look like they repeat pretty exactly, which is something that noise does not do. Exactly. And you can see here, too, that the attack time, which would be sort of on the right side of this image, you can see where the the middle chirp ends and this third chirp sort of begins. Like you said, Richard, it, it drops down below the, the, the line and it comes back up and then it re starts repeating. And then you're going, this is the attack of, for the next chirp. They look like this, like clones. You could lay them each over each other, and they all are, are basically identical. Yeah. Now, if you zoomed in, there are differences. They're not ident identical, but they are very close. And the attack time is a few tenths of a second. Okay. And that might seem quick. So when you hear this, uh, you know, chirp sound, it's even hard to hear the this the lead into the sound that you see in this, this graph, you know, it's kind of fuzzy and then you have that spike. So that attack time. Can we play is, one of those chirps? So people who have not been following this can hear what that sounds like in comparison to the Maria uh, background continuous that you just played. Uh, let's see what I have queued up here. And if it, uh... For all future radio folks, it's radio. We need audio, okay? This should all be at your fingertips. Radio, audio, radio, audio. You know, imprint that mantra in your mind. Make it loud. So that's, that's a quick sample of chirps there. Well, they sound like clicks more than chirps. They're clicks. Yeah, they're yeah. clicks. Yeah. And when so, you spread them out and do a frequency, uh, you know, amplitude spread like your graph, like number 15, that's what they look like when you look at them with, with machine intelligence. Yes. And the attack and decay time, decay is, you know, the fall off. Is, is happening pretty, you know, a tenth of a second for the, the fall off. For okay, remember, we don't have infinite time here. Yes. We are talking so, about time travel, but we don't have infinite time. So. <laughs> so, um, that's the typical signal we've been getting up until now with your recording, Richard, with Michael Lee Hill and David Sarita. And, all of these have looked pretty much like this. And then Maria goes to Stonehenge, and that's – and I open up, uh, you know, 15A – or not 15A, what number uh, – are we 4A, I think it is? We go back to 4 – yes, 4A. Okay. And this is Maria's signal from Stonehenge in the 20th. And as I said, number one, the, the background noise has – been reduced to practically zero. Wow! And so the so the so the intensity of the signal corresponds to the color. Yellow is the loudest. Red is next loud. Purple is or or deep red is less loud than that. And then purple would be almost quiet background. Exactly. And you can see how sharp 
these signals are. You have these purple spaces and then bright yellow and the attack time. This is what I know. Just looking at this one, I didn't have to zoom in. Of course, I did to measure it. And the attack and decay is a couple of milliseconds. Oh, my, 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 my. So it's... Uh, that's why I say it's such a stark difference. Because so there's almost... a lot of information compressed in a very brief period of time. What does the uh, on on the on the bottom the the beautiful purple it, visually it's, it's artistic. What does the herringbone pattern from left to right represent? Well, this is you know it's a mono signal, but it's there's information coming in on two channels, and we are dealing with what we believe is a non EM type of communication coming from the fourth dimension or whatnot. So I think there might be some binaural uh, information here. I don't know, but it's worth checking out because we have to think outside well, just, the box. Just put simply, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing look, what look like waves, and they appear to be some kind of mathematical, uh, not, not, not a, uh, a, a maybe a phi, you know, ratio or something. In other words, yes. it, it appears there's some kind of mathematical gradation of longer and shorter cycles superimposed on the noise. Yes. Um, if you look where I have the uh, number two circle, you can see two horizontal red dashes and... Well, they're kind That's, of sloped. They're slightly not. They're, they're not horizontal. They're they're very shallow angle. Yep, a little okay. slope. And the first little slope there, it's if that was a faucet, there's a little handle on the left end of it. <laughs> you can kind of just see a little red dash there. That's the and the metaphor keep on coming. Tone. Okay, that's the pie tone that Tom was playing. Oh my! Last so so night. we're looking at the pie tone. Yes. Oh my! So obviously it was not a random frequency. Three point one four was it kilohertz? I think he said. Yeah, if you go to the right, you can see the hertz um, scale here, where you can see three k. That's three thousand hertz. So, and it's right. just above that a bit. So well, it's three point one four is two significant figures. What he got. So yeah. they gave us pi. And. Then if you look at number three, this is which is now and, up, which is now above the purple, you know, uh, waves. <laughs> now it's up, and we've had clicks and chirps up to this point. There's right. not been zero rhythm, zero tones, and Maria goes in, and then all of a sudden we have. It's like it's a symphony. There's so many tones here playing. I'm like, what the heck? And then when I listen to this, I've I've listened to this twice all the way through. I, same with Tom. You know, we hear these. You know, like what the? As I I said, kind of hyperdimensional calypso last night. Yes. So you know what you know what this looks to me like. Are you familiar with a radio phenomenon called whistlers? No. Which are radio waves transmitted from one station on the earth, particularly if it's like um, uh, lower than VHF, like ham radio, uh, long wave ham radio. And the radio waves penetrate the ionosphere. They go up into the radiation belt 
and you get these long delayed echoes that like look like decaying frequencies and the plots look like this starts at a high frequency and then goes and that's what wow. this looks like hmm. except Boy, is... except we're at 100 and well, we're 432 uh megahertz and in stonehenge or near stonehenge so yeah. what would be generating these because she's only transmitting eight watts there's no way that this is reaching up into the you know the radiation belts and giving us echoes no way eight watts that's that's less than the light bulb in your refrigerator but is... but this amplifier of stonehenge at a torsion field level is doing something remarkable and again this is all intelligent type signals not random noise like you would get from let's say a thunderstorm you know uh, uh lightning bolt and then the uh radio associated with that yeah and at this point i'm wondering like in number four with the arrow i'm wondering if we're getting back what tom sent you know with his tones ah well that was the intention that we would yeah. send tones and then they would send tones back so is this a kind of a very simple simple much at a much lower kind of more primitive level a response than what david is getting which is really amazingly complex and predictive information okay we don't have a lot of time so let's move along well then you see where tom because i was confused to hear this tom signal again about halfway through where you see it says resend and he did resend it so it's interrupting the reception. And no, wait a minute. He did or Maria did? He, he said he resent it from Vancouver. How could he resent it? He doesn't have a radio. Oh, well, no. maybe it was Maria. No, it's a Mari- I mean, that's why the map is up there. She had to drive between the first end, and that was like a couple of miles from Stonehenge. And so she's recording all along. She only sends on your graph where it says send on the far left mm-hmm. then she's driving 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 she gets to to that fenced off road public access and the private english heritage boundary around stonehenge about a thousand feet or so away from the center of stonehenge and she sends again that's the recent okay oh okay but cool. in between notice that the recording goes on uninterrupted Look at where your number five arrow is connected exactly. to the so so the once you send it opens the floodgates according to this data and what I heard on my own you know recorded data and it's like it doesn't matter what you do next you've kind of given them permission to send everything they want and they send and they send and they send and they send and there's long coherent um, that there's a long set of intervals look at the Look at the time at the top. Look at how many minutes elapse. And this descending tone is still visible. And yes. then another one picks up and it descends down to your, your ellipse number six. Yes. And ellipse number six. And then six, you've got there's... number seven, which appears to be an intermediate <laughs> frequency, continuing the same slope. So what is this telling us? The question of the night. um, And number six, too, you see a spike, you know, a bright yellow line 
uh, right. from top to bottom there. And it drops off. It's hard to see here. But the, this number six arrow is just touching this other – it drops. Like right where that spike, it's going beep, beep. And that rises. So it's a quantum then, tonal shift. It isn't a slow decay. It's, it's an abrupt uh, cliff. Ab- abrupt. That's it falls right. off Boom. a cliff. Falls off the cliff. It goes up, and then you see number seven, and it starts going down again. So before I really even looked at this, this is kind of what I We need to get some radio engineers into this who really are used to looking at this, because whistlers are a familiar phenomenon, but again, they don't extend over such an inordinate period of time. Whistlers are typically, you know, a few seconds. They're not 30, 40 minutes. Hmm. Okay, well, that's, all, that's almost more like a Doppler shift, like whatever is transmitting is moving between the transmitter, even if it's an HD, remember, as above, so below, Doppler shifts occur in torsion waves too, and, and the handheld radio speaker that she's using. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, good point. Uh, in my item number five, this is... A close-up of Tom's message. You have the tones, which show up as yellow blocks. Right. Yellow squares. You have the Morse code. And then on the right, this is Maria saying, the transmission is over. (laughs) In her inestimable British accent, yes. And then in uh, number six, and I call these sweeps these yellow lines i'm calling them stone tones <laughs> that actually uh, sounds like an old rock group now coming six. to you live from the amphitheater stone tones <laughs> uh let's see number six is just a close-up of this first tonal frequency that i circled um oh the whistler uh, effect is clear there wow yeah, this is. I have this circled as number three in, in the diagram we just came from, okay. you know, with the, the, the seven ellipses and stuff. But this is number three. I circled it, and then I zoomed in here. And so... Well, wait, 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 wait. I'm seeing some very interesting horizontal red lines. Each one of those is a separate discrete frequency that just continues on like... Uh, yeah, and you can hear these. You can hear spec- them. I can yeah. hear them. Yes, you guys have better uh, ears, obviously. Thank God for spectral plots. And so I'm listening to this, and I'm just thinking, wow, we, we didn't get any tones or rhythms, and now Maria goes, and we're getting tones and rhythms like, you know. Well, have, have, you, have you plotted, and David, take, take notice, because I, I'm seeing ratios. Again, I'm seeing that weird kind of geometric ratioing going vertically. Oh, yeah, I see the same thing. I see the same thing looking at it. There, that, that there's too. a lot of math that needs to be done there. Yes, yeah, computers, was... computers, come on, we need more computers. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I was thinking of you, David, because, yeah, this is seems like ratios here to me as well. So um, You can feel it as your brain scans those lines. They're not evenly spaced. Now, notice all. in the lower half of your graph, John, we have the same linear separation of frequencies, but those don't look to be ratioed. They look to be even 
multiples, like like a step function. Like each one is some set frequency uh, higher than the next, moving from the bottom to the middle of the graph. And there might be repeating patterns there. It's it's hard to know without having an algorithm to figure See, that for out. For those folks that are having a clue what we're talking about technically, the takeaway of this is when you look at noise, it doesn't do this. And noise is nature. In, you know, signals that are modulated, that change frequency over time, that are in ratios, that have step, you know, steps between the frequencies, that's all what intelligence does. That's all what technology, what artificiality is. So there is zero question that what we're getting back is incredibly coded information. We just don't have the smarts yet to tap into more than probably one hundredth of one percent of what they, whoever they are, are sending us yet. Agreed. And that's where you folks out there listening all over the world come in. We need more help. If you want to help your your planet, help us figure out who's trying to tell us what and to tell us before it happens. All right. And item number seven, I wanted to get a closer look at this drop-off. Because I haven't seen anything like it anywhere else, so it stood out to me. And what I used was a tool that's a band separator, and it just it splits the the signal into bass, treble. It's a a band separator. You mean it it makes the Beatles go, you know, all cattywampus (laughs) and quit? Come together. (laughs) You don't mean a a a rock band separator, okay? You mean bandwidth separator? you, You mean okay, bandwidth. Thank you, thank you. Okay. And uh, basically, I mean, it's preset here. I just use the preset. It's like bass, mid-range, and treble. Okay. So this frequency is in the mid-range. And as you can see with the ellipse and the arrow, you can see where it drops off a little clearer. You see some yellow just above my arrow. I also see one like, at the bottom right above your arrow, which is ascending in frequency. Yes. So then I went and did in number eight, if you open that puppy up. Okay. All right. Wait, where's number eight? Oh, there's number eight. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. Right. This is another, this isn't a Hertz waveform. This is called a, a pitch waveform. And so it's another way of looking at this signal. Oh, you can really see the ascending frequency, which comes between two Descending frequencies. Something is that's significant. Now, well, you, because me, I, because because you never get ascending frequencies in whistlers; they're always descending. Hmm. The only way you'll get an ascending frequency is if the source was coming toward you, like a train going as it comes approaches you, hmm. or a fire engine, or any any wave train. So did, yeah, they, this, did, did they put that in there to say, hey, guys, you're not looking at whistlers, a natural thing. We're doing this. This is our check to show you we're doing this. Or is it because whatever the, wherever the transmitter is, is moving in three space relative to Maria's radio? Hmm. So we're getting Doppler. And I suspect there are ratios in here. I mean, this. this oh, those like horizontal, those horizontal little pale violet lines. Are they the grid? 
Is there a grid on this thing? A grid? Uh, yes, there's a grid. Okay, yes. so those are grid lines. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Just yep. want to separate, you know, what we're doing from what uh, – yeah, because so I can see them below. They're in white or, or gray, yes. I guess. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if I zoomed into this, it, it gets very interesting because you start seeing the – the blue lines coming in that show variations in frequencies. We we just see red now, but when you zoom in, it gets very detailed, and there there's a lot of detail in there that it just smacks to me of ratios and mathematics that are mm. above my pay grade. <laughs> we need a computer analysis that really is a machine looking at a machine. And, uh, yeah, wrapping up before the break here. Um, yeah, my we, first, we got about four minutes, okay? The first four items, or uh, let's see, first three are stone beats one, stone beats two. These are the rhythms that Tom mentioned last night. He played some of that. And um, I had done, um, this is a waveform item one. Yeah. Um, this is a, a waveform for one of those rhythms. And I mean, I, I do have those queued up if you just oh, want yes, me to play a quick it's one. It's radio. It's radio. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me crank it up here. And uh, go. I need to crank it way up. Holy cow, it does sound like hyperdimensional calypso. Is that crazy? Maybe they're music aficionados. Maybe yeah, they're like... maybe they're interstellar tourists and we're eavesdropping on their their boombox. I know. They want to get the band back together or something. Uh, good. Play that again. Uh, okay. Let me just close it. Let me back up. Here we go. And the others are just like it. Um, a, a rhythmic beat. Oh, my um, God. I, I can play. Let me just play one more. Are we listening two. to E.T. music? You know, because we sent them music. Did they, you know, reciprocate? Let's turn that over. Okay, now you better tell people what you did there. And we don't Whoever have a lot of time. Whoever he is, he's a pretty good drummer. No, no, no. That that amplified. Did did you add? Uh, did you add real music, our music, to their beat, or is it? Uh, no, that's raw data. The first one was just much lower. The the beats two and three are much louder. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this. So those are the so stone beats. Are. Okay. And I saw. Right, hold it there. Hold it there. Hold it there. Okay. For some reason, I'm getting okay. There we go. Okay. Um, sorry about that, but you know this is this is mesmerizing. This is absolutely mesmerizing. We're getting hyper-dimensional music. 
when you put the right technology and filter out the noise, there's something stunningly, wondrously, artistically beautiful. Who the hell are we talking to? You're on the other side of midnight. My name's Richard C. Hoagland, and this is Pink Floyd. Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. In your mind, you have capacities, you know, to telepath messages through the vast unknown. Please close your eyes and concentrate with every thought you think. Upon the recitation we're about to sing Calling occupants of interplanetary craft Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for it's still Sunday night here in the land of enchantment at 11.30 local time, moving toward the magic witching hour of midnight. We will raid into Monday morning. You know, we've been asking for weeks and weeks now, who are we talking to? And behind that has been a really important, bigger question. Do they have good intentions 
because there's a lot of deception going on. And I always used to say, just because someone is calling you from another dimension doesn't make them the good guys. But I think we can say with some certitude tonight that I think we're talking to the good guys for a couple of reasons. One is they're giving us data, not giving us politics. They're giving us information. They're giving us special sacred frequencies. They're talking in the language of the universe, which is these frequencies we chose, 144.1 and specifically 432. I mean, 432 megahertz shows up in the radius of the sun, in the radius of Jupiter. It's all over in terms of metrology, the Giza Plateau itself. It's the natural resonant frequency if you wanted to inform your great, 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 great descendants of the reality of the planet on which they live. And now we've got interstellar, hyperdimensional, beyond terrestrial music. And it sounds like music and it feels good. So I think we can pretty much come down on the side that whoever we're talking to, they are our friends. Karen, you were so prescient. Okay, John, you're up again because you're doing stunning work. You're bringing out details that I kind of thought might be here, but until tonight, I couldn't count on it. Boy, have you hit one out of the solar system. And Sorry about that, John. I just can't get enough of I mean, that is so prescient because this was written 
It wasn't written by the Carpenters. It was written by another uh, uh, musical band, and I forget. Ron, you might remember who they were. Um, but they was adopted by the Carpenters and made uh, incredibly popular. You know, this reached the top of the charts, and it was so ahead of its time. John, please yeah. continue. Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, Klaatu and... Yes, that, that was the name of the group. That was the name of the group. Oh. They, they wrote this song. In fact, I've got a recording somewhere of the lead uh, uh, singer of Klaatu singing this, and it sounds eerily like Karen, and describing how it came about. So in, in this sequence of stuff, you know, some night I'll dig it out and we will, we will play it because it's actually a very interesting uh, kind of show and tell. And it shows the depth of encoding in the lyrics what people were anticipating decades and decades ago. And here we are. Very cool. And uh, a couple more things. Uh, if listeners want to go back to item 4A that has the ellipses and arrows. When I was working on this uh, a few weeks ago, I was wrapping up for the night. Uh, arrow n number four on that image. I took a segment from here because it had all these descending tones and um, I added some semitones. I slowed it down and added some semitones. I think one scale's worth, like 12 tones, just to see what it would sound like. And then I, I sent that to you, Richard. I don't have it here to play. I don't. I didn't even. I didn't even save it. But, oh darn, uh, darn, 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 darn. Okay. It was just fun. It was a fun thing. Is, is you can, you hear once you add semitones, it it gives it life. It gives it music. It. it well, as with any music, you can, you know, it all depends on the arrangement. So you're taking the ETHD arrangement and you're adding a terrestrial twist. Yeah, I wonder if we're supposed to do that. I don't uh, know. I'm just... Yeah. Uh, next week, uh, bring that out of storage and let's, let's play, you know, the John Womack enhancement. I mean, this really is extraterrestrial music. It's, uh, play it again. Come on, pl play it again. Keith is going to beat me over the head, but play it again. <laughs> what am I playing? The tones that we hear that you've na uh, separated in frequency that show us the beat, show us the actual tonality. I'm trying to remember which, which number it was. Um, well, I have another Stone Beats I haven't played. It's well, that, Stone Beats 3. Okay. Play that. Yeah, play that one. Bring up the volume. That's it. Do it again. Okay. That's as loud as my... Wow. It's wow. very rhythmic. Well, yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, what I think somebody's messing with you guys. As drum major for Hyperman High School, I know a drum riff. And that does not sound like an alien transmission. How would you so know what an alien transmission sounds like? I know it's not going to sound like a drum riff that I've heard before. Then who is doing it? Where are they doing it? How are they doing it? And how do they set, uh, you know, put it into Maria's 
two hour plus recordings. I don't know, but they can transmit someplace. I have no idea how or when, but that does not sound like an extraterrestrial communications. But you have this preconceived idea that ET communication is going to sound like Twilight Zone. That was on February 20th? That was the 20th, yeah. All right, do we have – is is Thomas with us? No, he's not here tonight. He's um, He sent me a text. Okay, well, nice if he sent it to me. So he's not here. Okay. Is, uh, is, no. is Maria with us? There's one more thing I wanted to mention before. Um, okay, I'm, I'm just trying to get a, a lay of the land so I know where we're going to go next. Hold just for a second, John. Maria's not with us, right, Keith? No, she's not. Okay, then she is ill. Is uh, Dennis Stone with us? Uh, no, he is not. Because I called him this afternoon. I sent him emails. I'm hoping he's okay. This is uh, getting very curious. Okay, John, pick up where where, where you're going to climax here at the end, and then we'll segue to Ra, because Ra has one heck of an interesting story to go with his data. Yes, for next week. I mean, I'm kind of doing the tortoise approach. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, and I'm just taking this nice and slow. And I noticed EVPs, just like Tom did when we, we spoke, we verified that. When people, you need to define your terms. An EVP is what? Oh, uh, electronic voice phenomenon. And you see them on these ghost hunter shows where they walk through the house with a microphone and they hear, what are you doing? Yeah. Okay. Whoa. So we're hearing these. I've got three or four. There's like three on this recording. And then Maria's first recording, I heard uh, another one. So, and then as you know, from last night, Tom had the, uh, the Ray or great or whatever that voice is. Uh, he was playing that. So next weekend I will have, more in-depth analysis on our EVPs. And I, I did contact someone, um, got hold of a guy who actually builds the devices that these people use to, uh, you know, analyze these signals. So mm. it'll be interesting what he has to, to say if, you know, it's a different perspective. He's a ghost hunter guy. So we'll, we'll see, but um, I'll have that next week. Excellent. Okay, let me do this. Okay. Proper introductions are always useful on the other side of midnight. Uh, Except I'm clicking on Raw's bio and it's not taking me anywhere. That's not good. So, oh, I know what I probably have to do. I probably have to do this. Um, Sorry, guys, this is real-time radio, so... Uh, I still can't make it do what I want it to do. That is very bizarre. So why is this not taking me uh, back where I want to go? Okay, whoops. Now I lost it totally. That's not good. Okay, give me a moment here. This is... uh, See, this is what's always convenient when you are estimated as not knowing anything about computers because you can explain... Everything is being because you're just too dumb. So there we are. There we are. Okay. Ralph Anthony Castellado, also known as Ra, was born as an intuitive, a call bearer, musician, artist, and all-around 
Renaissance guy from a lineage with deep ancestral genetic history going back hundreds of years in the Mediterranean that is connected to preserving the stellar mysteries. In August 1987, he had an NDE, which seemed to amplify his already natural-born hypersensitivity in a whole new way, opening him up to harmonic frequencies and vibrations that he could not understand at first. Ra is an artist, a musician, an author, a researcher, and even creates his own copper-based healing products. He's also a dedicated father, a martial arts coach, and a remote viewer who has had much to share over the years. His website, themysticalspiralstore.com, features his copper healing products and crystals, and you can visit it there. There's a, a couple of links in the uh, bio on the other side of midnight. If you click on his bio uh, in the fast link section, it will take you directly to his um, page, to his websites, and to his bio. And now, of course, if you click on his uh, uh, fast links to items, click on raw, that will take you to some images tonight, to some video, um, and we will without further ado, bring Ra on. Ra, I, I want to give a little background. You've known Maria for an age plus, and it was she who recommended that we kind of reach out and, uh, uh, you know, get in contact and kind of rope you into this ongoing experiment because you happen to live in northern New York State near something called a balanced rock. So why don't you begin there and tell us uh, what the site is how old people think it is, experts think it is, uh, and then kind of describe to us, and we got plenty of time, uh, and we'll pick it up after the top of the hour, what you did on the morning, your time, of the 20th, when Maria was battling the elements and getting close to Stonehenge and doing her transmissions. Yeah, so I want to say thank you, Richard, and, and everybody here tonight for welcoming me to the team. It's a pleasure to be here, for sure. I think it definitely was sort of time-coded for us to finally meet. <laughs> well, a background we like that, you can be no other place. Come on. Yeah. You know, my, my, my buddy, Professor Chandra, who, who you're also friends with, had oh, recommended Oh, Chandra. Me. Yes, my, yeah. my Chandra Vikrama Singh, my friend in Britain, yep. the, yeah, the, the exobiologist, per, per, you know, par excellence. Yeah, he had recommended that I get in touch with you a, a while back, and just it just never happened. So I'm glad it, it finally. Oh. I think it was meant to be. Well, down the road we'll all come together because obviously this is going to land at some level into his bailiwick. So, uh, is he aware of any of the details of what we're doing? I I haven't. The last time I talked to him was right before the project, and he told me for the next ten days to twenty days that he's going to be busy to contact him at the end of the month. So Mm. I'm going to be contacting him soon. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, and you know the drill. So go ahead. Um, Talk about the the balance struck, the one that you were able to uh, get up close and personal with to do the listening when Maria was doing the transmitting. Yeah, well, at I, I first, too, as well, I, I'm, I'm sort of like uh, naturally born to, to feel some of these hypersensitivities. So maybe we could get into that, the reasons why later as well. But the Balanced Rock, if you to get directly into that, this is a spot in the lower Hudson Valley of New York. I'm about 30 minutes outside of Manhattan. And oh, so is, it's not upper New York State. I've been operating – see, when people 
say where they are, they need to send a map. I'm very good at maps, all right? So it's basically a commute up the Hudson. Yeah, New it's, York. it's uh, to the New York City, they call it upstate, because it's outside of New York City, <laughs> but it's, it's Westchester County. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's, it's the first county outside of the Bronx, but it's northern Westchester County. You're, you're going towards like uh, Brewster and, and those spots. So, yeah, it's, nor- it's called North Salem, New York. It's where the spot is at. It's actually on Titicus Road in North Salem, New York. And this lower Hudson Valley, if people want to believe it or not, it's on ley lines. It's on a harmonic energy grid. And it's interesting that we're talking about the Russians and Ukraine because they pretty much figured the harmonic energy grid out. I mean, Project Woodpecker in the ninth, actually they released it on uh, July 4th, uh, 1976, 200 years after our independence on, on a reason mm. why. And they were beaming ELF waves on our grid. And a God, man you're, you're talking like an old friend of mine, Tom Bearden. Well, an old friend of my of mine. Well, he, he kind of was not a really a friend, but an, someone that I I met and that influenced me when I was a kid in the '80s was Dr. Pulharich, and he. Oh, was Andrew Pulharich. He lived in that valley. Yeah, he well, lived in. He had an estate that I think it burned down in the. Wasn't early he 70s, in Austining so. or something? He was in Austining. Yeah, actually, he worked he had with Lab Russell Nine Studios. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they called it Lab 9. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because he was doing work with copper, and and, and it's sort of – that's what sort of influenced me. But this spot in North Salem, New York, it's on Titicus Road. It's – I think it's Route 116 there on ley lines. Like this place in the Hudson Valley, there's a reason why – even, guys, you were talking about Chernobyl before. There's a reason why you see these nuclear power plants on ley lines. Uh, you know, they, they put these on, on certain areas that's usually near water and they're usually near uh, harmonic energy. And that's where this spot is. I mean, Richard, this spot is right on on this road. It's literally going to uh, you could feel the pulsations of the ley lines like five minutes down. And this specific rock is not 60 to 90 tons of red granite. That's not from anywhere around this area, right? So originally they were trying to call it a glacial erratic, like the Ice Age. Do you know what it looks like sitting there on all those little little rocks, little stones? How how physically big is it? Well, the, it's room size. It's uh, If you could see me next to it, it's room size. It's about – Well, we, um, we can. We'll just scroll down to item number three. Click, yeah, on, click on links. Click on raw, fast links to raw. And then click on raw, and that will take you to uh, one is a picture looking kind of at the sun behind the boulder. Number two is a good perspective shot. And number three is you standing next to it showing its size. Number two, you know what number two looks like to me? A very eroded tetrahedron. Interesting you say that, yeah. You know, the, it's 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 interesting because uh, sacred geometry is definitely involved with this spot as well, which we can get into. But it's estimated to be about 60 tons, Richard. And like I said, it's I'm not saying it's from – yeah, the front side, even Jonathan saying in the chat room, looks sculpted. The front side actually looks like a cat-faced humanoid with a pharaoh-type, almost either Nubian or Etruscan wait, wait, wait. You or mean, Egyptian you mean, headdress. You mean meow? Yeah, like oh, a feline. I'd, yeah, it, I'd it agree like, with that. You know, and that's only from the front side. From the back side, 
it looks like a normal regular dolmen that you would even see in like Korea and, and many places. For those that don't know, Korea has hundreds of dolmens that look like that from the other side. But this specific from the front side, it looks like a cat face like Sekhmet with a headdress on. And Sekhmet, of course, is the, the, the mother of healing and the mother of war, the mother of abominations, the mother of the gods. You know, the mother of comets, even. You know, she was the cosmic mother of the, of, of the, one of the oldest deities to the human consciousness. So if, if that's, that's a possibility that it was even sculpted to look like that on one side. But that's just, uh, you know, uh, speculation. But it's um, 90 tons or 60 to 90 tons of that red granite, but it's balancing on these white slabs of, um, like, granular quartz that rise from vertically from the ground and uh they they literally almost look like fingers holding up this giant mm. thing and it's and it's it's get this guys it's balancing on a magnetic anomaly coming out from all different directions from underneath that stone is a minus 400 gamma magnetic anomaly which is pretty di- big you could look up dr bruce cornett and um John Burke, who wrote a book that is called, um, I think it's called um, Stone of Plenty, Stone of Plenty, something like that. Mm. And they talk, they talk about the scientific readings that they did at this site. Okay, here's, here's, here's a question. Maybe you can't answer. Maybe you can. Was the magnetic anomaly there first, and the stone was placed there to do something with it, or <clears throat> is the anomaly, <clears throat> sorry, coming directly? from the monolith, the dolmen, whatever you want to call it, and it's creating it or amplifying it by its presence. Yes, I do know the answer to that. It's coming from underneath the ground. It's under us coming from underneath all directions. It's built on top of it. You know, and uh it's a chamber underneath it. And we all know that red granite, I mean for Christ's sakes, if you go on, if you if you live in the Northeast and you live in New Hampshire, it's known as the Granite State. Um, granite emits low levels of radiation. So if you have a chamber beneath that's enclosed, which I believe this was fully enclosed underneath almost at one time, which is an opening at one end. When you have a chamber enclosed like that, it's emitting ionized air on the inside, and it could be a chamber for healing, for enhanced growth of seeds. If you put seeds in there, it's like mm. a, a seed treatment center. You know, and stuff like that. So when you have that sort of chamber underneath, it's it's a powerful uh, thing. I mean, it, no, with, no, wait, wait. People... The the object sitting on the on the on the you know stone platform, the quartz stone platform. Yeah. The, the red granite, quasi tetrahedron with a feral face on one side. Yeah. Is sitting on a on, on on the ground. Let me go look at number three. It's balancing off the ground. Okay, but underneath the ground. You yeah. say there is a chamber. Well, there's a chamber beneath the rock that the stones are on, first of all. You could lay underneath it there, underneath the rock. You can lay underneath there. Yeah, but that's I not a chamber. That's just, that's just a – I'm asking, no, is, is there a literally – is there a room, a buried room in the rock underneath some feet down? Uh, there's speculation that there's a room under there. There's so also so no one has done there. geophysical measurements or no, seismic or – well, what means- I'm saying is that underneath the rock, I feel there was more rocks around it to make a chamber that you lay in underneath. Because okay. you can lay underneath it now, and it is sort of a chamber underneath there. Okay. And 
and you have there's a stone bowls underneath there as well. So if you enclose an area, it becomes like ionized air inside. Yeah, like, but you see, sorry, Ra, I'm going to be very argumentative. You're talking 3D physics. I'm talking 4D physics. You don't need to enclose anything because the active elements of these, you know, monuments that I've measured with the Akatron is torsion fields. Has oh, no, not, no. I, has nothing to I do understand. with ions and all that 3D junk. It's much deeper, much oh, more yeah. primal. And for sure, we are at the hang on. Deeper. I'm, we, I'm just we saying are, that was are, probably one of the uses that we, they we are literally at the top of the hour. So let's hold it there. Yeah. Okay. And do this. Okay. I have to get all my pots sorted out here. You're on the other side of midnight. <clears throat> We're talking with, I can't talk at all. We're talking with Ra, who's a friend of Maria's who has a long lineage involved in all of these sacred mysteries and was part of this network we put together of volunteers to record and listen on the radio to see what happened at other points on the global grid relating to Maria's February 20th transmissions. And things happened 30 miles north of New York City at this balanced rock location. Our guest tonight for this half hour and probably longer when we come back will be Ra, who's going to talk about how he got to do the experiment and more important, what he got in return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. The site of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
And welcome back, everyone, on this now Sunday night, Monday morning here in the Land of Enchantment. You're on the other side of midnight, and we're exploring totally unknown territory. After the Muamua experiments, we put together this kind of uh, uh, ragtag group of volunteers. Kind of sounds like the Alliance, doesn't it? And from various sacred sites or locations close to sacred sites scattered around the North American continent, we had other people with these radios listening and recording when Maria made her transmissions. And for the February 20th event, we were able to uh, get uh, Ra to volunteer. And again, like Maria, he's an intrepid pioneer because he had to undergo some, shall we say, stress to complete his mission. So let's get back to Ra. Um, has anybody done a test, and then we'll get into your, your results. Has anybody done a test in terms of the red granite as to the closest location where this shaped tetrahedron facial thing, balanced rock, could have come from? No, I don't exactly know where the closest red granite is, but it's definitely not from the area. But there is interesting that there is a close by road, like 10 minutes from there that I noticed, Richard, that's called Granite Springs Road. Ah. So I, I wonder where that road name came from. So there might be granite and just specifically, it's the red granite, I think, that is very unique. I mean, I'm not saying it's from Egypt, but it's very similar to like Aswan Quarry type of red granite. Well, we, we, we know again from real scientific metonymic data that when Kozarev, who was in the old Soviet Union measuring the torsion fields, doing a whole bunch of incredible, unique experiments, we know that quartz is a very active torsion material. Yeah. From my own experiments, I know that quartz is incredibly sensitive to both producing and receiving, interacting with, detecting torsion field disturbances. And, of course, the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid is lined with tons and tons of red granite. Um, yeah. In New York City, blocks north of the World Trade Towers during the um, you know terrible events of 9-11, there's a building, I believe it's some kind of public building, I don't remember what agency occupied it, but its entire face going up probably 10 stories and stretching over several hundred feet was faced with red granite. Every single one of the cars parked in that parking lot burst into flame during 9-11, having nothing to do with buildings hitting the, the, you know, with airplanes hitting the buildings, but having to do with the torsion field weapon that was used to literally dustify on some of the videos, the steel and the limestone and the other aspects, the concrete of the buildings. So red granite is a exquisite torsion transducer and amplifier. And that's why when you crawl under that balanced rock, brave soul that you are, you feel it, and that's an intro into what did you do on the 20th with Balanced Rock and the radios. 
Yeah, and there's a reason why ancient Egyptians make all their obelisks out of red granite. I mean, they're highly crystallized and they're they're just incredible. Yeah, that Well, red granite like, is 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 an igneous rock which is infused with trillions of crystals of quartz. Yeah. And you'll find a lot of these sites and places that have a lot of red granite around or just granite in general have a lot of paranormal activity and things I like hate even that um even Think, Gettysburg. I hate for, that term paranormal. It's hyper well, yeah, dimension. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. You know what I mean. We're well, going have, to we're gonna reconstitute the language. It's yeah, not I hate paranormal. That words have been demonized. It's hyper, even the word it's hyper dimensional. So moving on. Yeah. Don't have a lot of time. Even even uh even um uh Gettysburg is that whole area is lined with black granite. So a lot of things seem to be repeating that get recorded in the courts within the ground. It, it becomes almost like a, a time travel repeating moment moment. You know, it's like it's a, it's almost like a time recording thing with, with the crystal. So, yeah, this spot is actually the intersection of two different areas, which they call of homogeneous magnetic fields. And on one side of the rock, the land goes uh, around like a vertical field of strength that actually has been uh, measured at 54,200 gammas. And on the other side, the land all around reads 5,400 gammas, gammas. But in the middle, right where the rock is perched on top of, the vertical field strength plunges to 53,800 gamma. Now, the, this is an anomaly that's not in the boulder itself, like you asked, but it's right in the ground underneath. And the Earth's magnetic field usually is uniform everywhere else in the world. So um, a 400 minus gamma magnetic difference is a, is a, a, is a huge, amazing difference for a natural object. That's why even on this site that I've witnessed even, and I've spent the night at this site at certain times, you see golf ball-sized orange orbs, sometimes the blue flames in the air, blue orbs, and, and you'll see things like this at this site, which I've recorded before. So uh, I, I first saw this site in the 1980s, and I was somehow after... I, I first went to it in the 80s, but in the 90s, I didn't really attend it that much. But after August 2017, when we had that great American eclipse, I started becoming way more fascinated with going here again. And I've been going on solstices, equinoxes, Lion's Gate, uh, random times. I go all the time now, and I, I've been really familiar with this site. And I bring frequency generators there, portable ones. And I've been broadcasting 432 hertz at this underneath that chamber there for many years and every time I make a copper product and package it um, I'm having 432 hertz going as a frequency generator as well so Maria brings me involved with this you know I, I've gotten Maria involved with some projects that I was on like the Nephilim conference and I've known her for years as both a dowser and a, a colleague she's been on my radio show I've sent her some copper items and stuff it's been a long time now so she thought I would be a good addition to this so on february 20th I, I agreed and man it was like the nature's forces were trying to keep us from being there you know there was it was 19 degrees outside here that day in new york and it was cold snow was everywhere it wasn't snowing but there was snow everywhere uh it, it was i had to shovel just to get out and and get there and uh on the way there my car was acting up and it, it's really interesting because the radio was dead 
dead. 432 hertz was just dead. On the way there, it's completely dead. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be like a disappointing day today. I, I really wanted to have some results for them. Like, is this really going to be dead like this? Like, this is going to be horrible. So, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit of doubts. And then about 10 minutes from there, I had this peace come over me, like a warmth come over me. And I knew everything was going to be all right. In fact, I started getting like an intuition, like I need to put on my copper bracelets. I need to put my copper harmonizer underneath the the the, the dolmen when I get there. And I, I need to do all these things. I was getting like almost like a blueprint of what I have to do. And I'm contacting Maria and she's like, man, it's windy. I don't think I'm going to be able to get this done over here. I'm all by myself. It's windy. Like, I don't know what to do. And uh, Can she you was believe having, all yeah. those big, strong guys. Not one of them was brave enough to go with her in the car, in a car, and sit out, you know, protect her from the elements and just make sure that everything got done. <clears throat> yeah. And I had a, a, an intuition, a premonition that I had to make her a certain copper bracelet and send it to her before February 20th, which I did. And she had it cool. on her. certain, And it was at 432 hertz, you know, and I, I made it with the royal cubit. So when the royal cubit is cut, I cut it from the royal cubit, that bracelet, and I twisted it. And it's supposed the, – the copper twisting in the royal cubit is supposed to have – now, I never measured it myself – but it's supposed to have the harmonic resonant frequency of 144 megahertz, which is supposed to be harmonic light speed. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that even in the Royal Cubit, you got that 144 connected to it, and, and I have the 432 connected to it as well. So I have a catalog in, of imprinted uh, history with these frequencies and with the copper and with that site. So, I mean, it, and it's, it's really incredible. So I well, we're an excellent company because, as I said a moment ago, the 432 in various multiples shows up all over the solar system. Yeah, wow. So you can't get more fundamental than that, and we can argue whether that's quote natural or someone in my model redesigned the solar system to reflect these frequencies and these dimensions because this was supposed to be in its original game plan a kind of a hyperdimensional school for consciousness and something went radically wrong. And we've yeah. been trying to figure out how we got plunged into the depths of hell ever since. Anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt. I, Richard. I, well, I, I think we, I think we, li- we, we live on a harmonic energy grid and I kind of look at it, Richard, like this, the solar system. I kind of, my, my, my way of looking at it is, is that's the, that's the brain of God. The universe is God. And, and that's the brain of God. When we see, like uh, when we have little dendrites and synapses and neurons in our neural network, maybe that's like when we have these thought explosions and stuff, our dendrites, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Maybe that's like comets and meteor showers. Okay, in different I places. think I think I heard Ron wanting to add something. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. Uh, one that looks uncannily like the uh, care the dolmen in um, County Cairn, Ireland. Wow. It's, I think it's called Brown Hill. Dolman. Uh, I'm sure it has a proper Celtic name that Maria could pronounce, um, but it looks just like it. I tried to send a picture, but uh, it's going to take half an hour on SMS. So <laughs> we will we will post it afterwards. Just make sure you send it to Keith, and he'll put it up in uh, put it up in Raw's section. Continue. We're we're yeah, but we're running out of time here quickly. There, well, yeah. There, oh, the, the, 
Oh, no, I just wanted to – yeah, the question I wanted to ask when you were talking about the chamber and stuff, too, uh, it looks to me like two things. Aside from that uh, Cairn or that um, Dalman in Ireland, uh, Barry Fell has it in his America BC book, just a description. I'd never seen a picture of it before. And he called it the largest one in North America and said that uh, it was consistent with being a monument to a buried king. So there might be a king buried under there. No, seriously. Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree. You know, a lot of times they would bury like Phoenician Rephaim kings at these sites to ensure that they would transmigrate their souls after death. You know, guys, so guys, 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 if this thing is weathered, it's so much older than you think. I would estimate at a minimum, Ra, it could be 30,000 or wow. more years old. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been dated at a little less than that, but okay. It, it's granite, Richard. That doesn't erode that fast, even in upstate New York. And in thirty thousand like years. Anyway, in uh, thirty thousand, it would let, exactly. But let's move along. But go, go ahead, Ra. Okay. Well, oh, it does oh. look like it does look like something thirty thousand years old. But if you know, that's what I was, the other comparison I was going to make. Yeah, but, it is okay, like the ahead. Sphinx of New York. You know, it really is like a Sphinx of New York or something like that. It's, or the Busigi Sphinx, which is in Romania, which yeah. is very old and very eroded, and I don't. And you can only see it from one position. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, by the way, totally random right? question: Which direction is the face on the dolmen facing? North. Interesting. Okay, continue. Um. Okay. So. So it's cold and. You know, you're taking copper. You get nothing on the radios till you get within yeah. a couple of miles. Yeah. Your your yeah. spirit goes from the pit to oh my god, this ain't gonna work. To this warm glow. Yeah. So I had this like peaceful warmness come over me, and uh, I and even when Maria was having out doubts, I'm like everything's gonna be fine. Just get where you can, and just go for it. And I I I I knew intuitively not to plug in my frequency generators or do anything like that until Maria was done with doing her thing that I was just going to have my copper on. Good. And, and, you know, and I thought that copper, uh, I think it, it helps us get, especially when it's twisted the way we do it, when, the way I do it, I think it helps us get to like, sort of like an eight hertz state with our brain. And that's like a meditative shamanistic state. Now I, I can't measure it of course, but I, I if, if that was true, Wait, wait. Then, when you say eight hertz, you mean me- uh, synchronizing with the Schumann resonance? Yeah, like our, our also like our when our brain is sort of has that frequency of eight hertz, like our thought, our thought vibrational frequency coming out of us, like uh, our state, if it could be measured. When you have an eight hertz state, they call that like an at a meditative or shamanic state, and I think that's also mathematically compatible to like. 144, 432. So if that's true, it's almost you can like peer into these cascades of different dimensions uh, that are mathematically compatible with that 8 hertz. And these are all positive frequencies, I believe, for our human consciousness and, and for the, the, the universe. And I was having uh, these, this like, you know, sort of like a, a guy telling me what to do at this site. So I finally get there. And Richard, she started at 2 p.m. her time. Uh, that's 9 a.m. where I'm at, and the sun was just rising over the rock and aligning with it, and the way it was interacting with the granite was just amazing. There was all these beautiful light 
things going on, just a credible and exact. Wait, 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 wait. The, 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 that you could visually see? Yes. Okay. Yes. So and, as, a, uh, as, okay. A, as a sensitive with a very long family history of connecting, you see stuff a lot of other people don't see or feel yeah. or resonate and, with or whatever. Okay. Well, let me, let me explain it to you because it's a negative and positive thing with me as well. Um, I was born inside the, still inside the call, which is the amniotic sac. And I had what is called a call birth and nuchal cord birth. So when I, my mother's water never broke. When I was born, I still came out in the pot in the amniotic sac with the cord wrapped around my neck twice. Inside. Oh, my God. It sounds like the movie Cocoon. Yeah. <laughs> right. So a lot of people that are born this way experience second sight, um, you know, high, high sensitivity to vibrations and frequencies. And so I had already a hypersensitivity to, to vibrations. And then I had a how a many bad just a random question. How many births are are this unusual? It's in about one in every 150,000 or something like so that. So it's incredibly, incredibly rare. Does it yeah, run in but, families? Yes, sometimes. Like so my aunt had it. So it's, yeah. a, so it's a genetic predisposition. Yeah, they hmm. think so. They think so. And Well, um, if it runs in families, it is. It has to be. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, you know, like back in the day, they had shamans who would – you know, get they would give the babies born this way to shamans. Like shamans would nurture these babies. They would look be looked for for by mystery schools and secret societies. And most likely, there might even be covert agencies that give military projects heads up on babies born to this nowadays. Ah, now countries. we're into the NBC show called The Pretender. <laughs> yeah. And oh, all really? those kids, yes, it was an NBC wow. mainstream show about a bunch of special kids monitored by a private corporation for plausible deniability who were raised to inculcate certain special talents and abilities and all that. And it's a very entertaining and very illustrative show called The Pretender. Go look it up. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, so I was already born with that sensitivity. Then in 1987, I had a pretty bad near-death experience where they had to operate on me to save my life. And then after that, my whole brain and everything, my whole body, everything was different. The way I talked to people was different. The way I, all of a sudden I could play guitar. Um, when I would hear certain frequencies and vibrations, I would get images from them as well, like even negative ones. Like if I would go to the dentist, the drill, the vibration and the sound of the drill would give me images. It oh. would give me certain things. You know, so certain vibrate, like if I touch velvet, it makes me cringe down to my very soul. Really? Certain fabrics, yes. I'm just very sensitive to touch, taste, smell, so it's a bad and a good thing. What was, and if it, I may be so intrusive, what was the medical condition that almost killed you? Okay, so uh, I was a high-level sports as well. I, I did kickboxing, Muay Thai, and high-level soccer most of my life. So I was playing in a travel soccer game, um, and it was pretty high level for being 10 years old at the time. Like we would play the best kids in New York State, and for my age year – and it was a rainy time in November, and we were actually playing these, these kids from a town called Thistle where it had a lot of Irish immigrants who knew how to play outside in cold weather and be real rough and elbowy and, hmm. and tough, and they were real gritty, right? So it was a hard, hard game, and I happened to be the, the roughest kid on my team who would be, get out there and be elbowy and throw things. So my, my coach sent me out there to sort of like, mix it up with these guys and, and be in their face. So I ended up jumping in front of a guy that was going for a kick. So oh. the ball and his foot 
hit me in my testicles while I was in midair. Oh, my God. I hit the ground and had a massive concussion, and I ruptured my left testicle. And so I didn't you know had massive brain trauma. Brain and that, testicles. Well, I'm thinking it's the brain trauma that catapulted you to another level. And what do they have to do to save you? Um, I had, first of all, the concussion, and second of all, um, the blood and oxygen wasn't flowing right in my testicles, so they had to cut open my left testicle and pull, pull out a black tissue that was forming to oh save my. me. And so clotting, I don't remember Clotting, anything. rapid clotting, yeah. Yeah, I, bl- I blacked out. Um, I don't remember too much. All I remember is one minute before I woke up on the hospital table, Richard. So what I do remember is that I was tumbling in a darkness that I felt like I was going to die, and then all of a sudden I was caught by a warmth that was on the north, south, and east, and west of me. And this warmth es- escorted me to this structure that had water in it. It looked like a see-through structure. I don't know if it was crystal or glass or whatever, but it was in the shape of a cross where you could go in there. And I was put inside of there, and I had to level myself out like I was a carpenter, like I was a bubble in a carpenter's level inside of this water inside of this container and i'm inside trying to level myself out and inside the water i'm hearing information about my life and stuff like and i'm trying to level myself out in this container in the water like i'm a bubble in a literal carpenter's level that's what i felt like Mm -hmm. and when i finally leveled myself out and i was all straight with because i had my arms out in in crucifixion pose and my legs together at the bottom like that like out my legs were out and my arms were out like in that pose, like an X, like uh, but my legs extended and my arms extended. I was trying to level myself out in the water. And when I finally leveled myself out, I woke up on the operate table. My arms were out in that position in the IVs, and my legs were spread because they were operating on my testicle, of course. Mm. And I'm freaking out and going, why am I not wet? What's going on? And I'm 10 years old. This is, this is in mid-August 1987. Now I was 10 years old. In the turning 10, I was 9. And I was born 1978 in July. So I was just 10, and I'm like, why am I not wet? And I'm actually cursing. Like, why am I not <laughs> effing wet? I'm screaming in the, in the thing, and the doctor and, and everybody were like, calm down. You were, it was just a dream. You were, you were under the anesthesia. They were trying to, like, talk me down because I was freaking out. Like, I didn't understand why I wasn't wet because right. I was just in, like, a wet container. So after that, I had – uh, hypersensitivity. I actually struggled as a teenager trying to figure out what was going on with me. It took me many years to figure it out. When I was in my early 20s, I totally changed. I, I ended up going to kickboxing and never touching partying again like that because I was partying for a while as a teenager to try to like keep, numb everything out so I wasn't experiencing the things that were coming to me. I didn't understand it. It was always coming to me when I was being creative too. Like when I would be creative, everything else would just I could I could be playing music or something, and the time would just freaking disappear. It's like everything things would come to me from on a on a higher level. Some of the information I didn't understand it at first. Um, I was really smart in school, but I could focus on one thing, and like I could sit there be drawing in my notebook, and the teacher would be trying to tell me something, and I wouldn't even be knowing she was talking. But then I would get a ninety-five in her class. You know, <laughs> like, you know he's a, you know, and things like that. So it, it's like a, it, that's where I think where time just disappears. Have you ever had out-of-body experiences? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Can you direct yes. them? No. No. It's always, and the thing is I've had them a couple of times where I felt like I was going to die. And a lot of them happened when I was younger before I had kids and stuff like that. Like, like when I came home from soccer practice one time, I was so tired. 
so exhausted. And I went to go sit there, and I was, like, spiritually charged up in a way, like, emotionally charged up. I was arguing with my mom on the way home, and I was just emotionally charged up. This is how sometimes things happen to me. I got to be, like, charged up in a way. And my mom was getting me all emotionally charged up. And I went to go sit on the couch to take off my, like, cleats and my, uh, my shin pads and stuff like that. And as I was sitting back into the couch, it felt like I was going to die for a minute. Like, whoa, that came on. And I felt like if I don't shake my head right now, I'm going to be stuck like that forever. And I tried to scream for my mom in the kitchen, and nothing can come out of my throat. Mm. And I felt like if I don't scream now, I'm going to die. And I tried to scream, and finally I was so tired, I just gave in. I said, all right, I guess I'm going to die. So I just gave into it, and I fell back into the couch, and I never felt like I hit the couch. I just floated, and I, clo- I had my eyes gritted closed. And when I felt that peace, I opened my eyes, and I was in a different place. And it, had to, it was a very special moment for me, and I don't really want to get into the place I was, but it was, a, it was a special moment for me. And it helped me in that situation where I was really energetically charged up and, and like pissed off at my mom, and it brought me to a better place and a better time. And it made me understand why I was mad at my mom and maybe why she was giving me the, the crap she was giving me at the time. You know, so, uh, yeah, I've had the, those experiences, but I've never actually been able to just say, I'm going to go have an out-of-body experience and sit down and do it. Hmm. No, I've never done that. But they've happened. Just like uh, when, we were at the, when I was at the Balanced Rock on February 20th, there was a, a split-second experience where it felt like it was almost like an out-of-body moment. You know that, that it's a it was a very powerful experience, and we'll we'll get back into that I think after. Yeah, after. we're almost at the bottom of the yeah. hour. Uh, just so we kind of tease what I'm going to ask you in the next half hour. Uh, when it's a little warmer, I think you should go back, go into that chamber, that space between the rock and the things it's sitting on, and focus and think of one crucial question, which is who are you. We need to figure out who we're talking to, and maybe your modality is the best route to getting the clearest answer, because you'll know if it's the truth if you get something. I agree, and I think I might be able to provide a little bit of hint towards what might be communicating with us on the other side. Yeah, you know what? It's always about source. It's, we should never have, need a middleman and be, have something to channel us or step in and take over us to get information. We have higher information in front of us. You never need a middleman. We have source right inside. Hold it there. My guest this morning, too numerous to mention, you can go to the website and you'll see all their names. Some, unfortunately, are under the weather and they're missing. But we're, we're talking with Ra, who's been a longtime friend of Maria's. And I wanted to let him bring out his personal history because this is not just metonymic science this is not totally left brain stuff there's a there is a balance here i mean you know balanced rock there is a twin way to approach this that we need to keep in mind constantly and uh we'll we'll do the filtering with science but the opening of you to it is a very important component, and we'll uh, move into that domain more after the break. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We'll return to Ra and his experiences at Balanced Rock when we return.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Play the five tones. Welcome back, everyone, to this last half hour on the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, Monday morning, March 6th and 7th. Uh, Many decades ago, I uh, don't have time to stop and figure out how many, about this time of the morning, I was climbing on a KC-135 out of um, uh, an Air Force base there in Florida, south of Cape Canaveral, to go and chase the March 7th eclipse, which occurred in 1970 all the way up the east coast of the United States. Another anniversary. So, Rob, back to your approaching the balanced rock. You've got your gear. You have this feeling that something positive is, in fact, going to happen. Take it from there. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that music. It's sort of – it's just like what Jonathan and and Thomas were talking about, too, like the other day to me. That that music is like that. Right. It's totally from that. uh, Yeah. Which Keith seems to think is a fake. And I would like Keith to provide me evidence that, in fact, it's not real because Jonathan dug that out of a huge amount of noise. If someone was trying to fake us out, they'd make it very clear. They wouldn't have make it so we would have to really, really, really reach for it. They'd make it obvious. So I'm voting that it's real and it's been masked by the noise and it takes the right technology to extract it. And again, why would one think alien music or extraterrestrial or hyperdimensional if it's connected with the human race, which these frequencies and these metrics all are, and the sacred sites like Stonehenge, why would it, quote, be alien? Because, again, my model is we're talking to family. 
And if we're talking to family, it's going to be familiar. Anyway, please pick up. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it might even be a, a key to unlock something else behind the, the transmission, you know. Exactly, and, yes, yes. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, so that day, like like you were saying, I, I first was feeling negative, like, oh, my God, the radio's dead. It's, like, not working at all. And then, It's dead, Jim. It's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, five five minutes before, I got that, that feeling come over me that everything was going to be right. I assured Maria, you just go go ahead with it, you know, do it, you'll be okay, everything. And uh, so, yeah, Richard, she started at 2 p.m. her time. Like I said, that's 9 a.m. my time. At 9 o'clock on the dot, it went live. I couldn't believe it. I even recorded it on video to make sure. I ended up having two of those radios. One I was recording with my phone, and one I had sitting next underneath the rock just recording. And Because I, um, I couldn't get my laptop to receive the audio in uh. any way. So I had to I had to record it another way with my phone. Well, let me tell you why I think that might be. I found from bitter experience in measuring with the uh, with the laptop and the Acatron at Coral Castle, I made the mistake of setting my laptop down on one of the limestone rocks that uh, Lee Scowlin had assembled in Coral Castle. Yeah. And it killed it. It totally freaked out the quartz clock which is how the computer maintains frequency. And for years afterwards, that little clock in the lower right-hand corner on, on your Windows program would lose, like, you know, many minutes per day. And nothing I wow. could do. I would reset it, reset it. It was it, the field, the torsion field from the limestone that Lee Scowlin had put in place in Coral Castle had changed the quartz frequency, which is how the computer keeps time. So I think the reason that your laptop did not work was the field that she had energized through the ley line system connected to that rock, that balanced rock, when the red granite and the quartz so changed the, the clock in your computer, it could not be in sync with the programs and it would not work. Whereas the other technology, not dependent on that timekeeping code, functioned. At least that's my theory. Yeah, no, that's interesting. It, it, it could possibly – you could be completely right. Yeah. Well, we can test it. See, I don't propose things that we can't test. You yeah, know, we can. In, in, in future months, we're going to outfit you with more equipment to test certain things. But your intuitive sense is an excellent test, and obviously that rock lit up, and you were transducing something that changed your feelings from negative – to positive and the radio lit up right when she's yeah, transmitting. In, in fact, Maria, you know, Maria would tell me the truth. She does, she doesn't lie to me. Like I like about this at least. I wouldn't think she would lie to me. In fact, you know, and she was. I told her first. Like she she just agreed with me. Like she didn't say it. Like you know, I I told her first. So it wasn't like me agreeing with what she was saying just to go along with it. I was like Maria, can you feel it in your chest right now? <laughs> it was like two minutes before when she was going to start. And she was like, oh, my God, yeah, because I felt that feeling when almost like at Christmas when you know you're about to get some presents and you mm-hmm. just can't sleep and you get that, that <laughs> feeling in your chest. It's like, whoa, you know, as a kid, that was that type of that, that feeling, that, that kid-like innocence type of, uh, you know, happiness. Like I felt that kind of feeling that I was in anticipation of something good. It was like a feeling in my chest. Which is you know? another indication of 
on which side the folks we're talking to are on. Yeah. Yeah, your body responds, right? You could tell right when you meet somebody or, or the energy, like your body will respond. Just like when we hear certain information, you know, whether it's on the Richard C. Hoagland show, Other Side of Midnight show, or, or whatever, you'll hear a piece of information and your body will respond to it. Your well, body some responds. people's bodies respond. Yeah, anyway, well, you'll know it's the truth. Time is, it, the tempest know. is fugiting, so continue, please. Yeah, so I uh, at 9 o'clock exactly, right when she started it at 2 p.m. her time, 9 o'clock my time, it went live. And <laughs> I never heard it live before, but it was like, you know, behind the static was these, these not they're almost like beeps, like rapid. And it went, now it was 20 degrees out there. And I just wasn't feeling the cold for some reason. I just was in the zone. And I made sure, because Maria did it for about an hour. I made sure I stayed there for like six hours. I stayed there till like two p.m. my time out in the cold because well, I wanted was, to see. She was in a heated car. And... Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I was outside. I was outside, and at, it went from nine o'clock to nine o nine continuously. Ba 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 ba. And then it stopped at nine o nine. I was writing everything down when it was stopped, and then it started. It gave me a little bit at like nine eleven and nine thirteen, and then it went dead. And then at nine twenty five, it started again. And then it pretty much did that same mathematical repeat every hour until I left about a few minutes before. Oh, so it was redundant. It was repetitive. It's like it was sending code. Then it would recycle and send it. John, can you pull up your projector sound and play it for Ross so we can hear it? John? Yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah, if you give me a minute. I can do that. Uh, Note to future self. Have all this stuff available and ready. You never know when I'm going to ask for something wild. Yeah, and we're getting close to the end of the show, so I'm eating some potato chips. Oh, God. (laughs) Can't wait to hear a crunch. Here's the uh, projector sound. Yes, and Um, turn it up. Turn it up. up. It's just my computer speaker, so it's not that. Here we go. Wow. That's perfect. Is that what you heard, Ra? Yep, exactly. See, the reason I wanted you to play that, John, is you're playing the sound from Maria's radio and recording. And Ra is listening on his radio 6,000 miles away at another sacred site. And they're connected by the, you know, the grid and that's how this information is being transmitted. It's not ordinary radio. And I used Maria's recording. What we just heard was not the projector from your recordings, Richard. Right. Uh, which they're all on there, but they're much quieter. But with Maria, it was, as you heard there, it's just so loud and amplified and clear. So that's why I grabbed that. Excellent. Sample. Okay. I just wanted you, Rod, to know that you fulfilled the experiment right out of the box because I wanted to see independent confirmation of the same signals at two separate places on the grid. And bingo, you got it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was hoping because I was, I was worried that I was going to let you guys down because the, the laptop wasn't working. Every It was like things were trying to keep me from getting it done, but at least we got it done. And now next time, that we, we could start from here and we'll get better each time, you know, for yep. sure. For but you sure. know, Maria's going, you, you know, she's going to Giza, right? 
Wow. Is, she, that, is that when she's she's leaving on the eighteenth? She's going to give her her itinerary. I'm I'm very uncomfortable that she's not feeling well because David Wilcox has this phrase negative greeting when you're going to do something really amazingly important. All kinds of and I'll use the term because we're on late night radio. All kinds of shit is thrown at you like you with the car problems and the temperatures and the radio's not working and the laptop. In other words, everything they can do to stop you, they, I'm not yeah. sure who they are, will throw at you. I mean, when I spoke at the UN, I had everything and the kitchen sink thrown at me up to and including the black uniform security force at the UN that had gotten a call from CNN claiming that the man from Mars was going to speak there. And I was the guy and they were going to throw me out. Wow. Yeah, the night before I had a little bit of food poisoning too. I was oh, great, like great. Yeah. Anyway, so please continue. Yeah, so it, it those transmissions just like that, mathematical, it was like it sounded like an intelligence beeping. And I was uh, sort of like trying just to just chill out and not <laughs> go too into my, my thing. Like at that time I was trying to like just – so I was like paying attention to the, the phone and I didn't have really – a personal experience till afterwards, but during it, my my chest was was coming out and I was getting little orbs showing up. In some of the pictures, I actually have pictures of little blue orbs and little waves of energy that were all going around the rock. It was it was pretty interesting. And um, so when Maria stopped the transmission, I was like, all right, now it's time. She's officially done. So I shut off all the Wi-Fi phone. Everything that I had going, I turned off the radio and I put my 432 hertz portable generator that I frequency generator I have, and I had the copper with me and stuff. I had my crystal skull that I have, one of my crystal skulls, and I had it in the stone bowl. That's the ancient stone bowl that's underneath. That's a part of this structure as well. They have a, a bowl that's underneath that's carved out of the quartzite slabs. One of them has a bowl that people put seeds in and water to charge water and crystals. And so I put my crystal skull in there. When I placed the crystal skull down, because it was the perfect size. Wait, 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 wait. How do you happen to have a crystal skull? I have a whole collection of crystal skulls. I actually have a from friend where? That's a master, where is a it master from? carver? Where is um, it? Oh, you made so, this? No, um, I have a friend in India that's a master carver. So the ones that I make, I have made, are from Tibetan Himalayan high altitude quartz. Right. That I get every three years. I'm able to get it, some of it. And when I get a quantity of it, I have my the family that I know in South India that carves them for me. So um, I so, have. So these are modern versions of the archaic, ancient, mysterious crystal skulls everybody's heard about. That's correct. Okay, but it's okay. using very archaic crystal. Of uh, okay, okay. And, when, just, just and to... when, when I believe, you know, my own opinion now that crystals help us connect to harmonic frequencies. They have a recording of them as well. So when you carve, all shapes have power. And when you carve a crystal to a certain shape, like the shape of some, some uh, a head that has a sentient brain and, and, and all of this, even elongated, it sort of helps our human well, wait, 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 wait. These are, these are skulls, modern skulls carved by your friends made yeah. out of quartz crystal, right? Yeah. So it's quartz like is a carve. torsion material. Yeah, and it resonates to the it field. Like the human head shape. It sort of, it sort of makes like a, a quantum computer type thing, man. It's really, it's really 
It's really interesting. It's uh, something about carving a crystal into the shape of a have human Have you ever head. tried – this is as far afield, but have you ever tried holding it like in front of your third eye and trying to focus to see if you get imaging stored information in the crystal? Wow, you must be intuitive yourself, Richard, because that's exactly what I do. <laughs> I'm a scientist. My, I'm a scientist. Well, with okay. my smoky quartz crystal skull, which I use smoky quartz, I use to help me keep grounded and, and to, to ground to earth elements. I have a smoky quartz crystal skull that I, I face it towards me mm-hmm. and I touch its third eye to my third eye mm-hmm. all the time. And I like the coolness of the crystal too. Like it, it really, it does something. It really and gives me And what do you see? Yeah, it gives me images and all sorts of things sometimes. It depends on what I'm researching and working with, too. I'll get a deeper imprint. So it's, so it's, so it's like a library. It's like yeah, opening an yeah. archive. I'll get, a, ah. I'll get a deeper imprint of what I'm working on. Like I'm writing a book right now about – Well, given the fact that you put the skull under the rock and it obviously recorded what was happening that day, I would yeah. recommend a quiet session with the skull or two or three or a dozen because it may have downloaded information – to the question, who the hell are we talking to? Well, that, that's where I wanted to go with real quick. That, that's part of it. When I put the crystals, my elongated crystal skull in, in that bowl, it was the exact same size of it. It like locked into place like it was hmm. destined to be there, Richard. Ah. And I saw, as soon as I put it down, I saw a flash of all these like symbols and codes. Like It was like a dull neon flash in my mind that I saw when I placed it down. And then I laid down underneath there and it felt like everything was spinning for a moment, like almost like an out-of-body experience, like a flash, almost like me and that rock were a vehicle, and we were going to fly through the cosmos. It felt like that for a moment. And then when I sat up out of the chamber, all around me for about two seconds, all around me, I saw a mathematical like grid around me were these arches of energy. They were like arches, and on the arches were these little spheres traveling on the arches and they were coming up to me right and i felt like like i could grab them and i went out to reach and touch one and i was getting images about my mom encouraging me not to give up during wrestling when i was a kid when you know i had one so you, know, you were getting was, flashbacks i was getting flashbacks that helped me that was helping me nodal points in your life right and i realized for each one of us during this this, this, this experiment, for each one of us, it's going to unlock our own genetic memory, wow. our own time-coded yeah. frequency, coded mm. vibrational memory that's going to you, reveal you. You realize, Ra, this is going to make a hell of a movie. Well, listen, like for <laughs> David, right? Whatever, whatever David's connected to on his own personal cosmic journey, mm-hmm. it's going to unlock some sort of stu- some stuff to help him get to a certain vibration. For Maria, it might unlock some sort of druid related collective. See, this has been one of the hypotheses we floated a few weeks ago. That on the, on the radios, each of us are getting individual tailored information wow, to really? us, and then there's a general background of information. But it's because David keeps picking up the Royal Cubit and he's done seminal original work over and over and over again. And I'm picking up tetrahedral stuff. And it's like, I think it's specifically frequency related to who the receivers are. And and when I say receivers or or something even beyond, I don't think it's just genetic. I think it's real time. Again, if, if they're sending us information on the radios, for those of us that can't tap into the psychic stuff, we have the radios. But yeah. for someone like you who has this unique genetic background and birth and heritage, 
you're going to get the full download, which apparently you did. Yeah, well, it's all about harmonic frequency and sound and, and, and vibration. See, Even when you take the word. The problem is we can't record your imaging. Yeah, not yet, at least. And, you know, even when you take, like, the word Amen-Ra, Amen-Ra and Om-Rama, it's, mm-hmm. like, the same thing. These are, like, Amen means concealment, and it's, like, a concealment within the frequency of the word, the vibration of the, the Om-Rama and Amen-Ra. It's all about harmonic frequency and sound and vibration. You know, even the word Amen, like I said, it means concealment. It's about something that's concealed behind the very frequency of it all. And that's what that's what we're dealing with. I think for each one of us specifically, like with Jonathan, Jonathan, he's going to be getting hidden information that's going to bring his collective consciousness up and getting certain information that's related to his own cosmic journey. And I'll be getting information that's coming to me about certain locations and certain spots that's related to my own cosmic journey. And David and and Kintia and everybody else involved and Thomas and Richard, you know, we'll, we'll probably be getting all things that's going to help us all get collectively to the same frequency but at different ways because we have different things within us. You remember that movie Field of Dreams? Yes. And build the, it, he, he will come. And the great build line it. went, if you build it, I think that we're building something and it will attract all the right people who should be here working with this, receiving this information and making a change. I mean, the planet desperately needs something different, something yeah. to lift it from this catastrophe that we're headed toward. Yeah, we need we need a wave of higher like DMT friggin' frequency or something. Okay, like we we have less than eight minutes, so so you know continue. Yeah, we need some sort of wave of frequency because I was getting images and things coming to me about our world getting reseeded by comets and meteors if we don't collectively get to a higher level, you know. And and we comets is what transports DNA and and everything throughout the cosmos. It's how world gets seeded. And I was – I have been talking about it for a couple of well, years. Well, have you talked to your friend Chandra lately? Yes. Because it's not just comets. The stuff is out there. It's like interplanetary snowfall. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. It's washing across the galaxy, and whenever it finds a receptive environment, then life springs forward. Life does not originate on Earth. It originated someplace in a galaxy far, far away and came here through a yep. panspermia process like waves washing on a shore, finding a virgin, fertile environment to grow and evolve and to create, ultimately, us tonight. So go back to the rock. Go back to the rock. So what else happened? Yes, the technology of God. So yeah, yeah, that is uh, uh, pretty much when I sat up, I saw all those arches in mathematical. uh, Are you any kind of an artist? Yeah. Yeah. Can you draw this? Because... If not, I can have you describe it to Andrew Curry, and Andrew is a brilliant intuitive artist, and he'll make visible that which only at the moment you saw. Yeah, I could definitely sketch you for him. Yeah, um, uh, when, you know, when, you, when you're pretty much like an artist, like a musician, or you could pretty much do it all because you know, once, you're, once you're good at one of them, you could pretty much tap into all of them. But yeah, I have a comic book that I was working on for a while. Too, oh. but yeah, this it was really amazing, a really amazing moment, and um, – it's uh, it's hard to put into words what I actually felt when I saw that that energy as well because it felt like, like uh, you know, it it, it, it almost like a, a web of power 
that it was related to it. Like we're, it's almost meant to bring us all to a collective web of power for something in the future. You know, that, that's what was coming to Well, me an evolutionary well, but, step up as opposed to a step down. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I think it's, uh, it's related to shedding okay, a lot this, of Okay, this is another one of the experiments. And obviously, I'm going to ask a two-part question. So, you know, tell me the first part, and then I'll tell you the second part. Are you equally good as a transmitter as well as a receiver, you yourself? I don't know. That's a hard. That's a hard question to ask. I, I think I'm. I'm a better. Uh, I don't know. Have you I, ever I, tried I transmitting information to another person, to a, a group, to a ritual? I have done telepathic tests where where I've I've done that before. Yes, I have worked on that with people. Yeah. Because one of before. the things we've talked about in previous weeks, as we were, you know, getting Maria up to speed on doing it with technology. I want to do an experiment where we don't use any technology at all. We just use the hyperdimensional aspects of people like you. Yeah. And we, I find, well, and, 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 truth, I find... And, and, and we have you transmit, and then those of us that can't tune in, we listen on the radios, we record and all that, but we try to activate the network psychically, only psychically. Yeah. Well, with me, I could tell you it, it works for me best when I'm emotionally connected to something. When I'm emotionally connected to something and emotionally involved, then that's how I get results usually. Okay. So if that answers your question in any way, I'm not sure. Well, for future work, I think we ought to try this, and apparently you volunteered. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a, I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> Well, you just lie down there. We'll do it when it's a lot warmer. You lie okay. down there in that chamber and you just focus on sending something. We'll, 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 we'll give you a card of kind of things you might want to focus on and send. And then we'll record on the radio stuff and we'll see if they, whoever they are, answer. And one of the things we'll have you ask is, who the hell are you? And why yeah, are you well, doing this? Key. A little key to next time we talk is that I, I think that there might be actual structures within our Kuiper Belt and Ore Cloud, which is the place that sends out comets that actually communicate with us and send us impulses of, of information. So maybe we could talk about that another time. And, and Thomas even told me, is it true that you were part of the gold record that went into space? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, Eric Burgess and I cornered Carl, Carl Sagan at JPL one afternoon before Pioneer was going to leave the solar system forever and we got in between a, two coffee cups so we couldn't move and we laid the idea we said look this damn thing has to carry a message and he got this incredible beatific grin you know carl's famous grin and he said oh what a nice idea and he went away took him two months at headquarters through all the bureaucracy but he got the damn plaques made put on the spacecraft and it began a cottage industry uh, of Voyager records and, you know, tablets on the New Horizons and any spacecraft leaving the solar system. And now a lot of ones that are just sitting in high orbit, so they'll last for millennia. And we began that at JPL <clears throat> that afternoon in November of 1971. Wow, that's amazing. My aunt was working at NASA in 1972. That's interesting. Yeah, well, it, 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 it was launched in early 72, 
And in fact, Carl called me up at the farm where I was living the night before the launch, and he said, "Richard, he said we did it. It's it's on it's on the spacecraft." Hey, we are out of time. Amazing how this has gone. Obviously, we're going to be talking to you again very quickly. Uh, I want to tell everybody that next Saturday we're going to do another one of these communications programs. Not quite sure what we're going to do on Sunday. Maria's going to get her itinerary in the next day or so, and we're going to be able to talk about Egypt and what she's going to do approaching the plateau within the kingdom, all of this good stuff. So you're not going to want to miss any of this because, in fact, we're in touch with someone, and because of folks like Ra, by next week, we might know who we're talking to. You've been listening to The Other Side of Midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Until next week, remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everybody, and stay in residence. <laughs>